Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengliss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Greetings from the Gulf Coast. Yes, we're sitting here on the Florida Panhandle in the upper left-hand corner, uh, sitting pretty close to the water here. We've got the Blackwater River. We've got the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we're not too far from Pensacola where the Blue Angels hang out, which is why I wanted to have the Thunderbirds come to Milton. <laughs> we're about half, a, about half an hour from Pensacola, just because I think it'd be really fun to have the Thunderbirds perform, you know, 30 minutes away from the home of the Blue Angels. I just find that funny. <laughs> so, you know, uh, maybe the, the runway's a little short. I'm not quite sure. We're, we're going to work on our, our Peter Prince Airport. Uh, that's a big issue that, that's coming up locally. Another big local issue, we've got uh, a wonderful person who's uh, bringing a couple of businesses um, to our Caroline Street, which the rest of the world wants to call US 90. We call it Caroline Street because it's a local street. We want to keep it a local street. We want to keep it a two-lane local street for our absolute gorgeous 1912 Imogene Theater, the coming, you know, courthouse market complex across the street, uh, the wonderful developing downtown with more businesses, more shops, uh, our free concerts, you know, the, the development of the uh, uh, Milton waterfront with a place for, we've got a beautiful boat dock already right there that's lit up at night and some other things. And uh, these folks, they, they, you know, there's an article that comes out in Newsbreak um, talking about, uh, well, we're in the, another uh, early phase design of the four-lane expansion. No, we're not. That is suicidal. And so I will fight that with everything I've got, including especially this show. I've got a microphone and I'm not afraid to use it. So in your town, in your wonderful little town, and, you have, and if your wonderful little town has a historic district, uh, you need to preserve it. You need to keep it walkable. You need to keep it, you know, two lanes. You need to keep traffic going slowly. You know, I want, I want to get a bumper sticker that says Milton, you know, drive uh, to, not through, you know, because all the folks that want to expand the highway, uh, all they want to do is go through Milton. Well, go around it. If, that's your, if, your only, if your only goal is to get around Milton, then drive around Milton. But the whole point of coming here is the fact that it's a wonderful town. You know, I fell in love with the place when I got here. Uh, and even when I lost my, uh, my dream job, my radio job, uh, I did not seek uh, radio jobs, you know, outside of driving distance from Milton because I didn't want to leave. You know, I'm still here and I'm happily still here. Anyway, I got the windows open this morning. Um, so you might hear some more car noise. It's kind of an experiment. Uh, what is that? That sounds like a big truck. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I've got uh, the microphone set up for, you know, just like right in front. Uh, so hopefully it won't pick sounds to the side. So this is an experiment to see if I can actually uh, leave my windows open, which will be really handy as the summer heat gets going, uh, especially as of Sunday, we've got daylight savings coming. Uh, daylight savings is back, hopefully permanently. Uh, that's another thing we'll talk about too. Anyway, so, so many experiments this morning. The, the news is going crazy. There's so much happening. Uh, and today the show is a little bit different schedule. We've got uh, at the bottom of the hour, we have Derek Park with our financial report. Still working on a new theme for him. We have to change a couple things, so I'm going to fix that. Uh, then we have about uh, half an hour or so, and then uh, Cowboy Candace uh, is going to return, and that's going to be at uh, 8.30. So that's the bottom of the second hour. And then she's can only stay. She's got stuff to do, so I think maybe 9 o'clock. So the third hour is going to be wide open. Uh, I'm not going to play another interview. I've got too much news. Hopefully, uh, Pianchi will join me, and we can kind of tie up uh, the week, and we'll get things uh, you know, pretty much sorted out for next week. Next week is going to be very interesting. Now, Monday, I'm probably going to do a show on, on a new term that I just learned. I think all of us just learned this new term, not term, term, T-E-R-M, term. We, need new, we learned a new term, uh, and that is the censorship industrial complex. 
And this is the growing industry. It's, 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 a, it's a fascist combination of government uh, and allegedly private industry, in other words, uh, social media you know, and, uh, and search engines. And so the very folks that uh, I could basically blow wide open and make them competitive again uh, with my bill to end big tech censorship, this is the perfect time to introduce it. So I got a new contact with uh, Congressman Matt Gates, and I, I won't embarrass him yet, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get in contact because he was big on the, uh, the Twitter hearings. Now, I have post the Twitter hearing uh, on the weaponization uh, of Twitter by the, the feds to completely control the narrative. Uh, and something else, there's this new company I heard called NewsGuard. And there's another global disinformation service. So there's two of them. Um, and what they do, their fascist government, private industry cooperative effort uh, is to take all the ad revenue from conservative, uh, patriotic America first uh, sites and give them all to Marxist uh, news media. And so, so the MS, so the M, we're going to call this. The MNM. So the MNM, MNM, the MNM is now the Marxist news media. So we're gonna, I'm gonna introduce that term to you as well. So that's what's happening. So a global information service or disinformation service and NewsGuard are two leftist fascist Marxist organizations uh, dedicated to stripping all the money away from people that are telling you the truth and give it to the Marxist propaganda companies. And that's pretty much you know how I see it. Okay, so that's happening um, Tuesday. So that's Monday. Monday's going to be on the on the censorship. Uh, industrial complex. Tuesday, we've got a really special guest, Brandon Straka. Brandon Straka of hashtag walk away. He's the guy that uh, walked away. He's a liberal, uh, probably progressive liberal. We'll find out. You know, like I said, I have nothing against the liberals. Uh, we just disagree on policy. I, I don't have a problem with that. My problem is with the Marxists who want to control this country, control the media, control everything, control everybody, control the economy, control what we think, control what we do. Uh, and basically, uh, you know, even if they were good at it, I still wouldn't want it. But they're, they're, they're particularly terrible at it. And generally, the result is millions of people die, and we have to fight to get our freedom back, and we have to start all over again. And then the power of people come up, and the arrogant, and the idiots, and the idiocracy, it becomes the Marxist dictatorship, uh, and we start this process over again. So hopefully we can stop this process. That's what this country was designed to do. You know, the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, and uh, the Declaration of Independence, take the three of them and actually enforce them. <laughs> You know, on us. In other words, the grievances that uh, uh, our colonists had against uh, colonial England and the monarchy are exactly the same grievances we have today against the nation of government in Washington, D.C. And I use the term nation of government intentionally because I just wrote an article on the nation of government, which is where Washington, D.C. has become a country. It's basically become uh, monarchist England with a king on top uh, who got there by fraud, who got there by, uh, by a coup who basically, with the aid of uh, the Obamas, the Clintons, probably the Bushes, you know, the Cheneys, and uh, everybody else on both sides of the aisle, as they say, stole the White House, kicked Donald Trump out of his legitimate term, and uh, tried to tell us that we were the ones that were crazy. <laughs> no, we're not. We're actually the honorable ones. We're the ones telling the truth. We're the only ones telling the truth, you know, when it comes to uh, COVID. You know, what, what, I had seven things yesterday. Um, I call it the, the canary episode, you know, where those were waiting for somebody to sing like a canary. And uh, because the noose is, is encircling uh, all the corruption, uh, it's, uh, the dam is breaking on, on all the lies, you know, and see how many other metaphors I can toss in here uh, in the next couple of minutes. But all, the, all this stuff is coming crashing down. And what's interesting is to see who's going who's gonna to fess up first. And the first person, the first canary, and we'll, we'll be listing the canaries as they go. The first canary uh, is Dr. Redfield, who said, oh, yeah, gain of function. Yeah, that's, that, that came from the Wuhan lab. 
yeah, you know, not Dr. Dr. Fascist. You know, he wouldn't say that. You know, he'd say that you got to mask up and uh, I am science, and I'll tell you what science is. And if you just listen to me, then it, me, I got to work on my accent here. Too much Boston creeping into my New York accent. Yeah. So if you if you, you listen to me, then uh, everything's going to be fine. You know, because I know science. I'm, I'm that kind of guy. Anyway, so that's Dr. Fascist. I'm working on it. It's actually sounding a little bit like him. <laughs> Give me time. Um, but that's the that's the problem. So so Redfield said no, it's gain of function. Uh, it was done in the Wuhan lab. It was paid for by the NIH, and it's uh, totally corrupt. Okay, so canary number one, canaries number two and three are, are the two people that were in the Twitter hearings, uh, Sellenberger and Talibi. Uh, not, not to be confused with uh, to, uh, what's your name, Rashad. Uh, what's your name? You know, you know the the the, the squad member. Rashida Tlaib. There we go. So this guy Tlaib, he's a journalist. Uh, what, he's got four bestsellers, a Pulitzer Prize, a I.F. Stone Journalism Award, and, and one of the Democrats said, well, you're not really a journalist. <laughs> he, he's like, well, actually, I am. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, and in fact, there's a, there's a really comical exchange. Now, I, I have the whole hearing. I have the 20 minutes of, of, the, of the hearing. Uh, you don't get this and that, but you, you need to listen to the whole hearing because the Democrats are hysterical. Well, everything the Republicans said isn't true. There is no, there is no group you know, pursuing disinformation. Twitter is completely open. Yeah, right. Yeah, and pigs fly and hippos tap dance. <laughs> Please give me a break. Um, anyway, so so that's but that's quite fascinating. Anyway, Brandon Straka. So Brandon Straka was uh, a disillusioned Democrat, uh, disenfranchised Democrat. He left the Democrats and he started, you know, hashtag walk away. So he encouraged, you know, everybody to walk away from the Democrat Party because they've lost their way. They've gone from liberals to Marxists. Okay, liberals. Nothing wrong with the liberal Democrat Party. In fact, there are times when the the, the liberal Democrats are, are appropriately critical of the conservative Republicans when they're doing something stupid like starting a war that we don't need to be in. Like I don't know, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, uh, Bosnia. <laughs> where else have we been that we shouldn't? Syria, you know, where else have we been that we shouldn't be? So a lot of times the liberals will say no. So you've got two really interesting coalitions forming, and I'm going to get to a couple of stories on this uh, as we go. Matt Gates, my congressman put forward a, a bill initiative that would have gotten us out of Syria. And what's really interesting is that the, the neocons, in other words, the neoconservatives or what I call the permanent war class, uh, the folks in the middle, you know, that are interested in big government business as usual and spending endless amount of dollars in foreign wars so they can recycle it back to their, their district's military uh, industrial complex, uh, make money and have nice jobs as lobbyists for the military uh, defense contractors after they got they get out of Congress. Those folks, uh, voted against it. But what's really interesting is they had AOC and the progressives teaming up with, with Matt Gates uh, and the America First uh, Firsters um, to actually try and get the U.S. out of Syria. Now, the one thing that gets forgotten in this whole debate, and I even wrote my, my new contact at Matt Gates' office, uh, is that you guys aren't talking about Benghazi. See, Benghazi is the key to Syria. So the whole point of, of uh, Benghazi was to for the CIA uh, and Hillary Clinton to run guns through Christopher Stevens, the ambassador um, who had a who was stationed up there uh, in Benghazi, as opposed to the U.S. Embassy in Tripoli, so he was up there when he shouldn't have been there. Should have been the U.S. Embassy in Tripoli, but no, he's up in Benghazi. He gets killed for it, uh, and the other folks, the 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 the, the four of them that were killed when the um, the local folks, you know, raided Benghazi because they didn't want guns going to uh, Syria um, or going to ISIS to go take out Assad. <laughs> okay, so they're actually running guns to ISIS. 
you know, while at the same time our policy is to defeat ISIS. It's really kind of interesting. Uh, and of course, no, but no one's talking about that now, which of course means I have to talk about it now. So what you want to do is look at, look at the old, and I've got stories on this. I'll post them all after the show. But look at the stories about Hillary Clinton uh, and the CIA and the Obama administration's involvement in running guns through Benghazi you know, to ISIS and who knows who else to overthrow the government of Assad, which they shouldn't, you know, Assad's, you know, I'll be honest, he's a bastard. Okay. And can I say that on my own show? I guess I can. So Assad is a bastard. I mean, in the sense that, no, he's not an illegitimate child. He's just a really horrible person. Okay. So Assad, but uh, there are lots of horrible people in the world. Doesn't mean we spend our dollars running guns through to create an army out of equally horrible people uh, who oppose him. Okay. You know, in the same way you don't arm Iran to fight Iraq or Iraq to fight Iran, you let them sort it out themselves. Same thing with Ukraine. Ukraine is an Eastern European and Russian problem. Let them solve it. If Western Europe wants to get involved and send German tanks with, uh, you know, basically the same emblem on the side that the Nazis used in World War II, okay, fine. Terrible optic, really dumb idea. But, you know, it's Germany. They're an independent nation. Uh, Every independent nation has the right to be incredibly stupid, but we don't necessarily have to fund it. That would be incredibly stupid of us. So that's what's going on over there. Anyway, so the key to understanding Syria is understanding Benghazi. And, of course, that's left out of all the news reports, which is why I bring it up. All right. So that's going on. So anyway, Brandon Straka, back to him. I speak in in, uh, multiple subject terms because I'm totally ADHD. I'm sorry. I apologize. I can't help it. It's just the way I think. If you read my articles, they're, they're written exactly the same way as I talk. Totally disjoint. Well, actually, no, my article's actually more organized. I think I can write better than I can talk. So I organize things in writing because I can go over it and go, nope. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle. When I write an article, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And so I put all the pieces down (laughs) and then I figure out where they go. So so in the end, you get a coherent picture. That's how I write. But when I speak, I don't go through that process. I just put all the pieces down and (laughs) it's up to you to figure it out. Anyway, so back to Brandon Straka. So what I want to do with him Tuesday, depending on how much time he has, and I'm sure we're going to have him back, is he's going to talk about walk away and walking away from the Democrats. And I'll tell him that I walked away from the Republicans. You know, that's why I call the GOP the gelding old party. Okay. If you don't know what gelding is, look it up. And then when you stop laughing, come on back to the show. Anyway, so the gelding old party uh, is what I walked away from. And it caused a little stir around here because, well, everybody, everybody in the panhandle is Republican. You've got to be Republican, Greg. You've got to go to Republican meetings. And you got, well, I did. I went to a Republican meeting and I, and I was invited to speak at a Republican meeting. And then I was thrown off the stage, <laughs> you know, because somebody, next the, the, the master of ceremonies, this, this, this dumpy little guy who made people pledge allegiance to a flag, you know, on, a, on the back of a cushion. It was embroidered on a cushion. That was hysterical enough. I'm, I'm not going to mention names, places, or things like that. But those of you who know what happened know what happened. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, this, this little man comes up to me. And he says, you're not a registered Republican, are you? And he says, are you a registered Republican? And I'm thinking, he wouldn't ask that unless he already knew the answer, right? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not stupid. Anyway, so I said, well, I know I'm not. He says, you got to get out the stage. Uh, you, you guys invited me to come speak. <laughs> you didn't require that I be a registered Republican. In fact, you know, if you want to convince me to do it, that's fine. But, uh, you know, you're, you're throwing me off the stage. You invited me on. And he, he's, he's looking at me, getting all red faced and saying, okay, I better get off the stage. These people are just going to get upset. And quite frankly, I didn't care. You know, it was a long drive anyway. I didn't want to be there, but you know, I figured, uh, anyway, so much for my meetings with Republicans and it's been pretty much, you know, <laughs> nil, null, void, zero ever since, because quite frankly, I don't want to associate people who will, who will invite me and then kick me off the stage. They invited me to speak on <laughs> That's just a little bit crazy. All right. So anyway, so back to Republicans, I have no use for parties. I have no use for political parties. I have no use. I don't think anybody who is in elective office should actually be in a political party because you end up representing your party uh, at the expense of your constituents. 
And so back to Brandon Straka for like the sixth time, um, what I want to do is give him something to walk towards. So his, his organization currently is Walk Away. He's on social media. He's got, so he's got a social media thing, uh, you know, Walk Away. I forgot what it is. I, in fact, I, I joined it. Or I'm going to join it. No, I haven't joined it yet. I'm going to join it. Now, let me see if I can find where it is. It's, it's on one of my many, many, many. Benghazi weapons. Okay, we got that one. That's not it. I want to get it for you because I'm going to be joining this after the show. It's his organization. I want to miss it. Larry Kudlow, Gates, Republicans, Households Down. Oh, I got genetically engineered bioweapons. I got a lot to talk about today. It's going to be a busy day. Uh, let's see if I can find my last source here. Did I have somewhere? Brian Sicknick, Waco, Soros commentary. No, I don't have it, <laughs> which means somewhere else. Uh, I got a, a, all these different articles here I have. And I got to find where it is. Anyway, so look up uh, hashtag walkaway, uh, Brandon Straka, and you'll find his social uh, media uh, new new outlet workshop I should be joining. Anyway, but m- what I want to do is suggest to him that maybe, just maybe, it might be interesting to um, to uh, write a bill, and that bill would be, you know, confirming not only walkaway stuff, but uh, having a um, eliminating anybody's membership in a particular party while they're in elective office. Okay, I don't see that as a problem. I don't see that as a, as a limitation on free speech because the party itself is still free to to raise money. You know. They seem to do it both legally and illegally, you know, soft money, dark money, things like that, uh, and spend it uh, on election fraud and other things that the party spend money on. Um, and that's okay until they're arrested, you know, but that's a different situation. But while people are in elective office and while they are running for office, they should not be allowed to be a member in a party nor receive money from that party. So parties should be able to spend money on behalf of candidates because I don't want to eliminate free speech. But if parties are spending money on candidates, that's not free speech. That's commerce. They're engaging in an activity which will get them a greater return on their investment. In other words, the people will vote the party line. And so, one, and in fact, I have a bill on this too. One, one has to keep separate the difference between uh, acting independently, uh, acting in, in terms of free speech, uh, and acting in terms of commerce. So what my bill says is that if you're giving money to a candidate for the purpose of a greater return on your investment, monetarily, power, influence, things like that, uh, then you're engaged in commerce. You're looking for a return on your investment. If what you're actually doing is free speech with no expectation of reward other than you want help, people to help get their message out, then you're engaging in free speech. So independent contributions to members of Congress, state legislatures, school boards, you know, city councils, county commissions, the, the five levels of government that we deal with, if you're giving contributions to people running for office. Okay, that's cool, you know, because you want them to have a voice, you want them to get their message out, you know, buy more signs, you know, block more intersections, things like that. That's okay. However, if you are, like happens around here, um, one of the major, you know, housing developers in the country, you know, D.H. Horton, things like that, and you're giving money to, I don't know, Sam Parker for the specific purpose of, of getting more housing developments and clogging up our little Santa Rosa County here, you're engaging in commerce, and that should be illegal. Okay, and so that's not they're not doing it to get the message out. They're not doing it for free speech. They're doing it because they want more money. Okay, so that's corruption. That's bribery. That's graft. That should not be allowed. And in the same way, you should not be allowed to be a member of a political party holding elective office because you're beholden to the political party, which is a conflict of interest where you should be beholden to your constituents. Not set on that. Okay. So let me see, do I have anything else I should be talking about here? Um, no, that'll do. <laughs> You'll only get you some news. So let's get into news mode here. Let me pull out one of my many articles. And let me see if I can let me get, let me get my, my news. My news. I've got all these different news things up here. It's kind of cool, too. Let's try this one. 
So I've got several articles here concerning the vote in Congress regarding this, uh, uh, I don't know, it's a resolution or a bill to get us out of Syria. So there's some like 900 soldiers in Syria. They shouldn't be there. Uh, someone killed. You know, anybody on the news? You know, and, and this is just one of the many things. Uh, this, uh, I think it's called the UAMF. Uh, this, it's the, the uh, uh, or AUMF, so Authorized Use of Military Force. So instead of having a declaration of war that's constitutional, they have a, um, um, what is it? Uh, what did I just say? R- AUMF. So I keep, I'm not good with acronyms. I'm sorry. You know, author, okay, there we go. Authorized. I just remember they're authorized. Authorized use of military force, which is unconstitutional because you cannot send forces, you cannot uh, appropriate money for, for foreign, you know, adventures, you know, unless you're declaring a war. That's how I see it. Okay. Um, well, I guess you can for specific adventures, but uh, specific adventures. <laughs> How's that for an interesting choice of words? For specific actions, for specific missions. I think Congress should be able to authorize that independently, short of declaring a war. But it still has to come from Congress. Um, and, of course, that brings up the, the Trump, Soleimani, and al-Baghdadi, uh, you know, basically assassinations. Um, whoever killing a person saves killing an entire army, wiping out entire cities, and losing entire battalions, divisions, uh, of U.S. soldiers and other kinds of and, and civilians on both, you know, and civilians in whatever country we happen to be trying to build a, a nation in, which, of course, never works. So that's what's going on there. So the authorized use of military force uh, bills are themselves, as far as I'm concerned, unconstitutional. It's a, it's a blank check to avoid a declaration of war and avoid congressional oversight, telling the president, go for it. Do whatever you want. First of all, it doesn't apply now because Brandon's not the president. He's an illegal uh, occupant uh, of the White House. And, but that's a different story. Well, that's it, it sort of makes let's, let's just assume for, for the sake of argument, there is somebody actually legitimately in the White House. The authorized use of military force, uh, the AUMF um, bill uh, law would still be illegal <laughs> because you can't do that. You can't just give the president a blank check to use power and force wherever they want. A strange noises at my window. So maybe 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 the liberals are knocking on there wondering what's going on here. Fortunately, hopefully we can't hear it. All right. So the AP, which is not normally a good source of news, even though they supply, you know, most of the media in the world, actually did pretty well this time. Kevin Freaking? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's his name. Uh, uh, maybe it's Frank. <laughs> it doesn't sound any better. So Kevin Freaking, F-R-E-K-I-N-G. I didn't read that just now, can you tell? <laughs> so I love being spontaneous with my articles. So AP News, House Votes Down Bill Directing Removal of Troops from Syria by Kevin Freaking. Sorry, Kevin, I don't know how you got through school, but I bet you you're a tougher man for it today. So F-R-E-K-I-N-G, Kevin Freaking reports. <laughs> Can we call this the Freaking Report? <laughs> Serious note here. And now AP presents the Freaking Report with Kevin Freaking. <laughs> this is not a good day. I better check live chat, see if anybody else is saying, what the hell are you doing? This is Friday. Can you tell? Oh, there we go. So uh, Sinai 77 is back. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you're back. You know, it's good to see you there. Uh, Sinai 77 is our live chat um, action radio member who's in the Netherlands right now. So he's listening in the afternoon. So my, just to let you know what I typed in at first, I'm really in a bizarre mood today. So anything's possible. So I said, get yourself a free account and type in from anywhere. And then I said, aliens from far off galaxies, especially, especially encouraged to join us. <laughs> so, so aliens in far off galaxies, if you want to type into live chat. Today is the day to do it. It just is. Uh, again, I'm that kind of a mood. Uh, hopefully, uh, give me from my insanity here in a little bit. All right. So AP with the freaking report <laughs> from Kevin Freaking. I'm sorry, Kevin. <sighs> Surprised you didn't change your name, but you know it's too late now. Washington AP legislation directing president. Let me get my my, my news voice. 
Washington AP. Legislation directing President Joe Biden to remove some 900 U.S. troops from Syria within 180 days was soundly defeated in the House on Wednesday as opponents of the measure warned that it could allow a dismantled Islamic State group to reorganize and endanger the U.S. and its allies. <laughs> what, from Syria? <laughs> Please give me a break. Um, yeah, so this is, this is the usual thing. Well, we better keep our armed forces there because they might do something bad to us. It was a lot of folks that might do something bad to us. I don't know, China, Russia, North Korea, you know, the, Cuba, the list goes on, right? So, so to say that uh, we need to keep 900 troops in Syria, trust me, if Syria is that dangerous, 900 troops are not going to stop them. And if they're not that dangerous, then why do we have 900 troops there? Troops are individuals. So 900 soldiers in Syria doing God knows what. And again, what, what's missing from all this um, is the whole Benghazi connection. So, so now that uh, Sinai 77 has joined us from the Netherlands, um, let's see, you know, so, so uh, let me put the chat out here, message out to him to uh, anything that he knows uh, to guard the oil. <laughs> That's his message. So I'm going to be going back and forth. Uh, if you're not listening live, you won't get the other half of the message. That's why I'm repeating it. So here's the question. Uh, Sinai 77, do you know about the arms that went, th- oh, to, to guard the oil equals to steal the oil? Um, so, but what I'm talking about is Benghazi. And so Benghazi is where uh, Susan Rice tried to say that a spontaneous, you know, um, protest erupted because of a video, you know, that was, uh, you know, uh, I guess derogatory of, of Muslims. Okay, that was a bunch of nonsense. I checked. I actually could check in those days how many views they had previously to a video. So I looked up the date before the, the, the Benghazi uh, attack, and there's like 150 views of this, this video. After the Benghazi attack, after Susan Rice publicized it, of course, there were you know, millions, right? Everybody wanted to see what caused the, the, the attack. Of course, you watch the video, you realize that's not what caused the attack. What caused the attack was the fact that uh, Susan Rice, Obama, Hillary Clinton, et al. running guns to Syria uh, to ISIS to defeat Assad, and they ran them through Benghazi. So what's missing from this, this Syria vote is the Benghazi connection. That's why I'm asking Sinai 77 what he knows about uh, the Benghazi connection. Uh, and I'm wondering if, if the Netherlands was, was like a stop along the way. You know, did the guns get dropped in Rotterdam? You know, hop a train, <laughs> you know, to Benghazi. I don't know. Of course, you know, that's, that's across Africa, across the Mediterranean. But who knows? I don't know. Well, you know, would they sail through the, the, the Strait of Gibraltar and the, the Mediterranean and got dumped in Italy and then transferred that way? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Back to the article. The resolution introduced by, I'm going to get my news voice. The resolution introduced by Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, spelled F-L-A, FLA, was voted down 321 to 103, which means 103 um, members of Congress, uh, members of the House, actually did the right thing. 321 are hacks of the deep state. Gates introduced the measure after four U.S. service members were wounded during a helicopter raid last month in northeastern Syria that killed a senior uh, IS leader. I guess that's the new name for ISIS. They shortened it to IS. Anyway, despite their defeat in Syria, IS sleeper cells still conduct attacks around Syria and Iraq where they once uh, declared a caliphate. Caliphate is an Islamic state. Okay. So uh, four, it's interesting. Four people were killed in Benghazi. Four people were killed in this helicopter attack. Is that symbolic? I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence. Hard to say. Anyway, it says, in arguing for his legislation, Gates said he didn't believe that what stands between a caliphate and not a caliphate are 900 Americans. Yeah, I agree. Who have been sent to this hellscape with no definition of victory. He said support, this is the freaking word, Kevin freaking, said support is growing in Congress for ending decades-old authorizations. That would be the authorization for the use of military force, right? The AUMF, which is a 
as I've already pre-stated, was unconstitutional. Supporters growing in Congress for ending decades-old authorizations for the use of American military force. A Senate panel on Wednesday approved a bill, 13 to 8, that seeks to formally end the authorizations for the Gulf and Iraq wars, but Gates' effort was too abrupt for many Republican and Democrat leaders. In other words, they want business as usual. They want to keep the money going. They want to keep the military complex going. They want to keep everything going uh, the way it has been going. The permanent war class that always wants to be at war somewhere. Um, you know, it's like, hey, <laughs> that's, what they, that's, what they, that's what they do. Okay? So you got to stop them. you got to stop the military-industrial complex and the new um, censorship industrial complex, a term I just learned uh, this week. And it says, okay, so he says, don't know about Benghazi, but U.S. tanks going to Ukraine are entering through Rotterdam. Oh, that is interesting. That is really interesting. Oh, see, there goes the truck by my window. You know, I'm trying to keep it, I guess I better close my windows like I usually do. It's pretty loud out there. I don't think it's the chopping trees up. Yeah, if you hear that, then I might have to, no, it is the, it is the trash truck. Thanks, truck. So once that's done, I should be done for this show. All right, so it says, don't know about Benghazi, but U.S. tanks going to Ukraine are entering through Rotterdam. So Sinai 77, guess what I need? Uh, it, it get me on Facebook, and when you can, you know, when you're not uh, busy, you know, doing other stuff, uh, let's get a picture, or I'll take a look myself. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down. So U.S. tanks are going through. So they are going through Rotterdam to Ukraine. Well, that makes sense. Uh, it says, didn't hear the truck. Uh, did, hear, did hear you close the window. Okay, I did not close the window. I'm still here on the air. But there goes the truck, so we should be okay now. Uh, so let's let's so let's put Sinai. He spells it S C I E N I D E for those of you that are listening on a podcast. He didn't write it cyanide as in the poison. So let's go U S tanks. Do you have a good source for me? Can you give me a, uh, a website I can look it up? U S tanks in Rotterdam. Rotterdam. This is why I love live radio. <laughs> I can I can talk to somebody in the Netherlands in live time or real time as they say. Get a site on, on something, get inside information. So we have a Netherlands reporter for, for Europe right here. I mean, it's fascinating. So you're, you're dubbed our, our, our live chat reporter, and I really appreciate having you out there. Okay, let me get you another article before Derek shows up, which, since it's the bottom of the hour, could be any time now. This is from Common Dreams, which is a liberal progressive website. Now, what is so interesting about this whole uh, debate over the Syrian troops is the fact that you've got um, conservative Republican, American firsters like Matt Gates, got liberal, we got progressive Marxists like uh, you know um, AOC. I forgot her first name, Ocasio Cortez, uh, both supporting the withdrawal of American troops from Syria. So this actually has happened a few times. You'll see this where where the the, the more conservative and the more leftist members of Congress actually agree, uh, and the deep state business as usual hackers uh, in the middle uh, tend to. Um, tend to vote uh, for the deep state and continued, you know, it's like the, the middle deep staters will vote for raising the debt ceiling uh, and both the, um, the, the left, the ultra left will say no because it hurts working families and, and the, the conservatives will say no because it destroys the budget. Uh, okay, so we've got a link right there. So let me, let me copy that link. You know, I want to make sure I get that before the show disappears. Now i got Derek on the line too, so I'm going to get to him in just a second. This is, I'm getting busy. <laughs> this is really fun, all the stuff that we get up to here. So let me see. Okay, so I got enough room on that one. Derek, hold on. This only take me a second. I want to make sure I do this while I'm thinking of it, because if I forget, live chat disappears after the show. So we're going to take a look at U.S. tanks going through Rotterdam on their way to Ukraine. So this is really interesting. Let's bring him on. Like I say, we're still working on a new theme for Derek, and so I don't have my usual exciting music for him. So I'm just going to bring him right on now, because we have a lot to talk about. We've got the budget. We've got the new taxes. We've got. I just got uh, our Netherlands connection, Cyanide 77. I just sent me a link on, on U.S. tanks going to Ukraine, and it's busy this morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? 
Uh, I just told you, <laughs> busy. This is this is yeah. crazy. I love what's happening. Oh, I've got a really great guest for next week. And then uh, Brandon Straka of Walkaway hashtag Walkaway. He's going to join us. And so I'm hoping to uh, okay. enlist in our campaign to to walk towards towards citizen legislation and walk away from politics as usual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's start with our report. Let's get the financial report, get the numbers out there, and then we can talk. Uh, you know, the usual stuff: budget, taxes, the Fed. <laughs> you know, the, what we should do and what we're not. You know, and what we are doing <laughs> and the differences between them. So, uh, um, yeah, go for it. And let's see what see what's happening. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody. This is uh, Derek Park. I'm your Action Radio financial advisor. Uh, markets close sizably, sizably lower uh, today, with investors likely waiting for payroll and CPA data that comes out next Tuesday. With Fed Chair Powell saying rates may have to go higher than expected, investors will be hoping for lower in both inflation and labor data, but likely be bracing for an upside surprise. Financials were a big loser, likely contributed to the inverted yield curve and higher-than-expected future yield expectations. Bond yields were little change with the 10-year near 4%, and the yield curve still inverted. Another crypto firm has moved into liquidation proceedings, sending Bitcoin, even, uh, Bitcoin and Ether lower. International markets are mixed. Oil is stable around $77 a barrel. U.S. Dow, uh, U.S. equities closed lower with the Dow Jones down 544 points or 1.66% to 32,255. The Nasdaq closed down 238 points or 2.05% to 11,338. Uh, and the S&P 500 closed down 74 points or 1.85% to 3918. Again, in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yield is at 3.92%, lower by 0.06. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down one dollar and eleven cents to, uh, or down one point four five percent to seventy five fifty five, and the spot price of gold was up sixteen dollars uh, and forty cents, or point nine percent to eighteen thirty five. This is Derek Park. Um, I am your Action Radio financial advisor, and we are. A member of SIPC, you can get me at 850-995-0082. There we go. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff uh, uh, that's happening. Where would you like to start? We've got inflation. We've got uh, the, the $6 trillion budget proposed by Brandon. We've got inflation, uh, unemployment. Uh, pick one. What's, so it's, uh, what's got your interest? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, all, it's all of interest. Um, you know, I mean, ideally... The market yesterday uh, fell apart pretty hard. Um, you know, the, the the VIX shot up almost twenty percent yesterday, What's uh, that? based on um, What's the, VIX? the VIX is the volatility index, and what that okay. is, is is it's commonly referred to as the fear index. You know, twenty uh, percent is a monster <laughs> is a monster move, monster monster move. Um, huh. You know, and that was it was it was to the negative yesterday. Um, you know, so a, a week ago the um, uh, consumer producer price index came out and it was 0.4 higher than what was expected. So that went up, inflation went up, um, you know, which all the indicators are, are, are moving around that inflation is a little bit more sticky than the government had hoped. Um, you know, so I, I think January is a, is a bad month already to, to kind of measure that off of. That's my personal opinion. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but um, obviously uh, the the markets are reacting negatively to it. It looks like they're going to react negatively to it today again as well. Um, so all the you know we January first couple weeks in February, um, you know all great gains in the market looks like um, you know after yesterday and maybe another day like that it it'll be right back to where we were. How much did the market drop? How many points? I guess Dow Jones or Nasdaq are one of those things. Yesterday, yeah. The bad day. S&P, what do you mean, on a bad day or yesterday? The, the, what, was yesterday the bad day of the week? Whichever the bad day of the week was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. yesterday. Well, I mean, we had, a, we had another bad day that was almost similar to this one um, last week. Um, hmm. You know, this week has been kind of up and down, um, okay. you know, until yesterday. Um, but, yeah, the Dow went down five, 500 points yesterday. That's fairly substantial. That's, that's yeah. a good move. So right? it was yeah. a, it was a pretty huh. bad day, but you know, I mean, the VIX okay. the VIX start started in the red yesterday, um, and mm-hmm. I and I sat there and watched it all day. It was almost like hour by hour, it kept gaining like like a percent. You know, it was just like a percent to to two percent. It was just like going and going and going. I was just like, damn, you know what I mean? Like it, it was just chewing up all day long. And I'm like, you know, I, I couldn't see. It was real hard for me to see where it was all coming from other than, you know, people just kind of tapping out, you know, people, mm-hmm. people saying, you know, hey, I, I, I think I'm just going to go to the sidelines and wait. Okay. So can you explain a little bit more about the, the volatility index, what it measures? Uh, and it seems to be a leading indicator, as we say, as opposed to lagging, you know, like inflation, you usually have inflation before, you know, it shows up, uh, you know, people don't declare a recession until after two quarters of uh, inflation or, or, you know, two quarters of reduced growth. But like we've talked about, you know, the, the real recession starts at the beginning of that first quarter, not at the end of the second quarter when they actually declare the recession, even right. if they do. So, so this volatility right. index, you've mentioned it before, I know a little bit about it, but I'm still, and I'm sure if I'm not clear on it, then a lot of other folks might not be as well. So what did you learn from it? And how does it work? Uh, what do you, you so it, it measures, it measures trading volume based okay. on options that are placed um, against um, either either against the market improving or you know for the market improving. So when the weight of people putting options against the market saying that it's going to decline are higher, then the volatility index goes up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So these people are betting on the market uh, actually because you can make money on the way up and you can make money on the way down. This uh, the, for folks who don't know, this some called short selling. You know where you, you sell only, you sell yeah. you pre-sell at a price lower than it is now. Uh, assuming that it's going to go even below that, so you're going to try and lock in some gain or how you, whatever you that's pre-sell. It. Yeah, okay, right. Okay, yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, that's that's huh. short selling, right? So so you can right. make money on any direction that it goes, um, mm-hmm. you know. But statistically, there's only a small percentage of people that that play the market for going south. Most of the people and your retail investors are playing mm-hmm. for it to gain, and they just deal with the volatility. You know, I mean, that's statistically, you know, I mean, that's the buying low, selling high, you know, methodology, which right. technically over time is the is the most reliable and is the most safe. Right. You know, I mean, uh-huh. you can if you understand the market, you can play the options and you can play the downside. You know, I mean, I've had clients that are like, hey, you're supposed to make me money in a down market. I'm like, well, the company I work for, we don't trade options. So, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's really go find, really go find a commodities broker. But, yeah, go for, yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's would really you, the only place you're going to do in the down market. Would you would you want to trade options, or do you, do you think it's too volatile? 
personal preference. It's not that it's volatile. It's just you need somebody that's that's willing to take that risk because if it goes, all options have to be traded on what's called margin, right? And margin right. is technically a loan, a loan against your assets. That's the that's the easiest way to say it. And you can mm-hmm. borrow up to fifty percent of your assets. Now, if you borrow up to fifty percent of your assets and you know your your spread closes or you know you lose in that endeavor, you get what's called a margin call, right? Which means that you have to put money back in, and you better have that reserve. If you don't, they sell your assets at a loss. That's that's part of what happened in, in 08 and 09, right? They had a yep. ton of margin against the market to recover, and it was not recovering. You know what I mean? It was just – it was continuing to go south. So – and I mean the VIX during that time was up to like – I mean the VIX right now is sitting at $20, $23, right? That's It's mm-hmm. measured in U.S. dollars. The VIX during 08 and 09 was at like 90. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Here's the, here's, okay. the, here's to put it in perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go back to uh, – let's go back to COVID, uh, the COVID pullback. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it in the window here. No, thank you, so Sam. during the COVID, yeah. the COVID pullback um, – Goodness, where's the? Oh, I got the S and P 500 mixed in with it. Let's see here. All right, 2020. It it went up to 89 during well, 809 during COVID. Yeah, mm-hmm. during COVID it went up to 80. So it so shot each up. Dollar, so it, each dollar of VIX volatility means means what? So we get a, get a, a rough each, scale on each this. Dollar depending on how much it is, is a measure of, you know, how, how volatile it is. Okay. You know, so, um, you know, if, if it's losing money, if, uh-huh. if, the, if the money's going south, you know, or the VIX is going south, then that means the market should be going up. But, you know, here recently, you know, I mean, there's been days that the VIX has been down and the market was down. I'm like, what the heck? You know what I mean? Like, like it, it's just hard or the VIX was up. And the market was up. You know, I mean, those two should not be happening. It should be an inverse relationship, if that makes sense. Well, speaking of inverse, yeah, no, not yet. I'm going to look it up. I need to do some research on this because I don't remember covering this in my economics classes way back when in the 80s. Um, but the other one that you said was the inverse yield curve of the Treasury, and that's not supposed to happen either, right? No. So inverted yield curve is his uh, – for the last, like, eight out of nine recessions has been a uh, an indicator – uh, or is it eight out of ten? It's eight out of nine or eight out of ten. Don't quote me on that. But um, you know, it's it's been an indicator that we're going into recession. They say that the inverted yield curve, you know, the recession happens within three months um, mm-hmm. of when the inverted yield curve. The the yield curve has been inverted since July of last year. Oh, yeah. So, so three months later, uh, it's know, August it's, it's, October. So that's that's like a year and a half of recession. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, this one, this one is going to be very similar to to oh eight oh nine. You know, what I mean, is is the easiest way. And the, and there's not very many recessions that we have that have lasted, you know, two years. You know, what I mean, this one. You know, technically, we've been in recession. We've been in recession for uh, the marker would be nine months. Actually, is about where okay. we would be. You know, well, so <laughs> we're we're pretty darn close. And and you know, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the company. And and a couple of the other people seem to think that we got a few months before we've kind of uh, bottomed out, and that's what I've been, you know, kind of pitching to people. I'm like, listen, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. 
You know, what I mean, we we got a couple more months of of you know figuring out where the footing is of the economy uh, before the market's going to start its full recovery cycle. You know, the good news about it is, and what I tell people, look, you know, the the first four weeks of January and the first couple weeks of February, the market recovered like nine percent. You know, mm-hmm. if it can recover nine percent in six weeks, imagine what it yeah. can do with three months. Right. Yeah. So so I just tell people, I'm like, listen, there's there's your glimmer of hope. You know, when the market does turn around, it's like, hey, it, it does require patience. It requires, um, you know, a, a calm demeanor. It, recomer, it, 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 it requires, you know, a, a form of understanding. Um, you know, you can't cannot panic sell. You cannot panic sell. And I've I, I, I don't have I haven't had somebody do it in a while. But, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I still have people that do it all the time. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's it's. If if you're gonna have that kind of fear, you shouldn't have gotten the market in the first place. Yeah, tell them to stop you know watching I mean? the you, news. You don't. <laughs> They'll be better off not watching the news. Just say, hey, oh, go on absolutely. vacation. You know, call me. You know, call you in like three months <laughs> and just check in. Right. Hey, how's it going? Okay, you're doing fine. Don't check the numbers yet. Okay, fine. <laughs> yep. Can you tell people that? Don't watch the news. Just just stay away from it. It's it's only gonna upset you. Um, yeah, I try to, but you know, people <laughs> see, people. You know, there's a. There's a psychology statement for this for people that thrive off a of negative negative energy, and I can't remember right. what it's called. I'd have to look journalists. it up. Journalists, you know, they're it, called journalists. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's probably part of it too. But no, there's 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 a psychology behind people. You know, I'm like, okay, I so said, let me uh-huh. let me ask you something. If the news turned it on and they told you the stock market was up 10 percent in a day. You know, uh-huh. I mean, there wasn't going to be any rain. The water was perfectly clear. The weather was, at, you know, 80 degrees without any humidity. You know what I mean? Like if they if they reported all of this stuff, prices were low and you could go shopping at Walmart. Would you turn on the news? Yeah. You know, and, and most most people are like, no, they wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like so the news, the news is very good. at sending you doom and gloom, which keeps you tuned in. You're like, oh, my God, what's the next bad news to watch? You know, yeah, so, it's always other people's uh, misfortune too. It's it's worse than that. People really want to hear about other oh, people's misfortune. You know, how many yeah. people are tuning into to Palestine, uh, uh, East Palestine, Ohio? I I think they should call themselves Palestine. They should call themselves Palestinians. They get a lot better treatment from the government. That's yeah, a joke. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Palestinians of Ohio. You know. Yeah. Anyway, right, right. But people want want yeah. bad news. You're, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you sense. know, they've actually. Uh, I, I want to say that I saw something on this a long time ago that uh, mm-hmm. uh, there was a news channel that tried reporting. You know, they tried um, you know reporting good news stories um, yep. with like twenty to thirty percent of what they put out, and the ratings mm-hmm. drop. Oh yeah, the ratings drop. Like, what does that sure. tell you about society that, like, they don't want to hear good news. They want to hear negativity. They want to hear bad stuff. And it's, uh, yep. man, it's almost sickening. <laughs> you know, I'm just well, like, when's oh the last God. time you heard gossip about somebody that was good, something they did right? Hey, did you hear Fred? He did something really well. He got a promotion at work. Nobody cares. It, you know, Fred right. got accused of sexual harassment. That's what you hear. <laughs> you know, right, it's always right, the name. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's follow this through a little bit. I want, uh, go ahead. The good saying, the good saying is, you know, don't ever point fingers because it's three pointing back at you. You know, exactly. what I mean, it's, um, you know, be, be be careful. You know, what I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's, you know, try to try not to uh, be a bad person, and I think we'd be a better society. You know, what I mean, people oh, is, uh, I think a good gauge of it. And this is personal stuff, but you know, what I mean, I think a good gauge of it is if you look at the way people drive, sometimes that's how they mm-hmm. treat people. That's how they treat people. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, me, 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 I don't care about you. Even if it hurts your vehicle or hurts anything that you own, I only care about what's going on with me. You know, and it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's anyway. It's just an analogy of how people. Are. No, it actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, in fact, I'd love to get like a monetary psychologist, if there is such a thing, of somebody that really looks about the psychology of money and how people think about it. That would make for a fascinating there is. guess. There actually is. Oh, we okay. have. Okay. We have. Uh, oh man, I can I can look these up if you want. Like, uh, well, you can I send me a contact anybody you might know, or or I'd love to have. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that has it. I was gonna. I was going to tell okay. you um, what the designations mm-hmm. are called. Um, okay. Designations. I'm looking it up. You can you can continue on, but I'll I'll see if I can tell you what it's called. Because um, I I know we have them. Uh, okay, monetary psychologist. I mean, I literally just made up that term. Uh, in fact, so much of what we do. Who it's not called that. Right. It's called like behavioral something or other. I got to look. Okay. Well, if you find yeah, the right I term, got, then I can. I got, I, I'd love to. Well, accredited I'll let you know. behavior. Uh, accredited behavior finance professional is one. That's too long a title. Accredited. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Beha- accredited behavioral. behavior financial finance professional. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. ABFP. And then hold on. There's one more that we have. Um, well, I can look it up. I'll I'll find it. I'll just I'll just put monetary psychologist or money psychologist or investment psychologist, and something will come up. They'll, they'll give me something related to it, but that'd be fascinating. We should look more into this because that's kind of what you do in a way. I mean, you, you have to be part psychologist because you've got to deal with people's fears, their emotions, their insecurities, All day. you know, their plans, <laughs> their dreams and things like that. But, it's, but, but money is technical, but the, the investing in money is not. So, so this is like when I was a flight instructor. Okay. And I used to explain to people the difference between art and science when it comes to flight instructing. And as I think about it, you have exactly the same criteria for what you do. So as an instructor, I could tell people about the lift coefficients and the Reynolds number in designing an airplane. I could talk about lift and the angle of attack and drag and the force of gravity and all that kind of stuff. That's science. Okay. Yep. That's the science yep. part of it. Now, let's talk about the art of landing an airplane. <laughs> okay, landing an airplane is an art. <laughs> it just is because you've got a million variables to take into account all at once, and you have to use your imagination. You have to visualize. You have to see a flight path in your mind down to the runway. You have to visualize your nose of your airplane lining up with the end of the runway and the horizon to, in the perfect attitude, in other words, the angle to the ground, to make the perfect or at least a good landing every time. I learned how to do that, and I started teaching that technique to, to my students. So the technique was science, but the art of doing it, but doing it was an art. So same thing with investing. Right. Right? So the science is the numbers, the measurements, the unemployment rate, the inflation rate, you know, the interest rate. Those are, those are, that's the science part of it. But the art part of it is what you do with investors to help them with their goals, dreams, aspirations, fears, insecurities, and doubts. So yeah, I should record that. That was great. But that's pretty much it, right? right? <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. All right. Let me talk about uh, something else here because we have 08 and you mentioned 08 recession and the 23 recession. So it seems to me both of these are government induced and that's the biggest problem. Uh, I want to talk about my theory of the, the accelerator and the brake theory of, uh, of economic mismanagement. In other words, the accelerator is government spending and the brake is inflation rates. And unless you, you, know, you, you back off the accelerator, putting the brake on it is not going to really accomplish a whole lot. But it seems to me 08 was the was that savings and loans. That, that was the mortgage the banking mortgage scandal where they had the Community Reinvestment Act where people, uh, I think um, it was the Clinton administration, started the Carter administration, where they forced banks to make loans to people they know couldn't pay it back. And then these were bundled and sold to big companies and and eventually it ended up in a recession, right? I'm probably simplifying. Go ahead, tell me. No, it was Clinton. Uh, It was the Clinton administration that that made the – it was uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was the uh, Community you know, Reinvestment Act. I think is what comes to mind. Right, everybody can get a loan. You know, I mean, so right. what happened was was um, you know everybody started getting loans in 
um, you know, what was it, uh, you know, late 90s, um, <laughs> early 2000s. Um, right. You know, and everything went great for a little while. Um, and then starting in mid 2000s, um, the default started happening. You know, people, you know, that didn't need these loans started defaulting on them, um, mm-hmm. you know, which basically was forcing short sales and foreclosure sales of houses that mounted up after about three or four years. And then hence 2007 started the financial crisis of uh, 08, 09, um, you know, so with the biggest default buy. on mortgages in U.S. history. Yeah, didn't a lot of big companies buy those in like bundles? Uh, and wasn't Fannie Mae and Nelly something or other with those different those different veteran things? They were involved in this as well. But well, big companies they, bought they all them. bought bundles of them. Yeah, and had right. to get bailouts from the government because they bought all these mortgages based on those new rules that said, hey, you know, I mean, we got to help these people. So, you know, that's what banks do is go buy other mortgages. Like if you finance your house, you know, uh-huh. and you go with one of these, um, you know, ma and pa brokerage firms. Um, you know, it's more than likely they're going to sell your loan. I mean, it happened to mine. It's happened to mine multiple times. I mean, it's not, I, I say it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you could end up with a mortgage company that, you know, is, is, you know, not easy to work with. I can say that uh-huh. happened to my mother. You know, I mean, hers, you know, I mean, the company, you know, it, like wasn't keeping payments on time. Like she had to go to automatic payment to avoid like getting late stuff because she wasn't getting stuff in the mail on time. Um, but it was a small company. And, you know, mine ended up at PNC, big bank. I mean, I've had nothing but good news from them. Okay, you good. Know, so, well, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem know, with, with loans being sold by banks as long as they don't change. But they can't change the terms of your loan or your mortgage because that's already a contract. No, 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 no. They so can't that, change so that's that. Okay. Just, I'm talking about processes and how they work. You know yeah, what I mean? Well, that's it's, fine. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. But, you know, I mean, b- banks buy loans because – you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's guaranteed money. And they don't need the return on investment right then. You know what I mean? So they buy these big bundles alone. These companies will sell it to them at a discount rate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they can just walk away from it and not have it. You know what I mean? So they'll have these bundles of loans that are all at 5%, call it. They'll tell the bank, hey, we're going to sell them to you at 4.5%. We're going we're gonna to just make our money. We're not going to sit on it. And mm-hmm. you make the money the rest of the time. Enjoy it. You know, so, um, yeah, you know, that's what banks do. Yeah, we should talk about the, uh, the the racial aspect of the Community Reinvestment Act because the claim was that black people and, and Hispanic people couldn't get loans in banks. You know, says so we have to give people loans. So they made terms that people that couldn't pay them back, uh, like we said before, um, but it was okay because it was against racism. So this is like early wokeism economic destruction. Uh, so that's my point. Yeah. You don't have to you know, comment on that, but that's, that was part of it. Was a big part of this was, was what was called redlining. In other words, they take a predominantly black neighborhood and say, we're not going to make loans there because we know those people can't pay it back because it's, it's a lower income community. Uh, and so yeah. Clinton comes along and says, OK, you can't do that. You can't assume because people are black, they're lower income, even if they actually are lower income. Granted, we have lower income, white, Hispanic, Asian, you know, every, everybody says both high and low income in their group. But that wasn't the point of this. The point of this was to eradicate racism. And this is where this kind of absurdity, you know, ends up. So let's fast forward to 2023. But, but my point was that this was a government-imposed uh, recession. In other words, it started with a bad government policy to make loans to people that couldn't afford it uh, and keep supporting that until the system collapsed. That was government. Without mm-hmm. that policy, yeah. things would have just hummed along, and we would have had – I want to talk about what a natural recession is, uh, regular business cycles in a minute. But the government basically gave us the savings and loan scandal first and then the mortgage crisis and gave us 2008. Fast forward to 2023. So this started basically the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, when the government got invested in the whole COVID thing and spending mm-hmm. money, trillions of dollars that never had to be spent. In fact, I just wrote an article on Substack. Um, check it out. 
because we, we actually had solved the COVID problem within a week uh, back in 2020. So, and I, I put the three things that we did at Action Radio, which I think is really fascinating. So February 25th of 2020, I have Bill Gertz on the show. Bill Gertz is the national security reporter for the Washington Times. Dr. Peter Pry, uh, my very dear friend who passed away last August, uh, was the one that got us Bill Gertz. We never would have gotten him otherwise. So Bill's on the show, talks about the Wuhan lab. So we knew in February of 2020, COVID's barely even in the news. Yet. Well, it's starting to get in the news, but we already knew that this is a Wuhan lab. And of course, we went on to gain a function. Dr. Fauci, yeah, you know, Dr. Fauci says, wear a mask, you know, that's what you want to do. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I'm looking at my, my Dr. Fascist accent. So pretty soon I'll have it right. And then I can like do it every time, like on cue. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, so Dr. Fascist comes on and says vaccines are the only way to go. And I knew that was a that was a crock. So here's the timeline. February 25th, Bill Gertz is on the show. February 27th, I wrote a bill that said that Congress can only spend half the money on vaccines. The other half has to be spent on early treatments because I already done the virus research. I knew how to treat them, kill them. I knew a bunch of stuff all in about three hours. Right? And, and then I also got the, the uh, Didier Raoult study in Marseille, France, saying that this is a bunch of nonsense. We've got chloroquine, later hydroxychloroquine. We can cure this, stop this. There is no pandemic. So that was February 27th, two days later. Uh, three days after that, March 2nd, I am on the show reporting on elderberries and chloroquine and other things. And I said, look, this is treatable. There is no pandemic. This is a government hoax. Yeah. This rush to vaccines is absurd. March 2nd. Yeah. This is even before. This is two weeks before 15 days to slow the spread. We're already reporting. This is a government hoax. Well, guess what happened to my audience after that? <laughs> you know, get, you, you, the algorithms caught up with me really fast. And those thousands of people, mm-hmm. we used to have thousands, thousands, you know, that would view our mm-hmm. just on views on the shows that I would do, and the show wasn't that good then. Well, that week it was. Uh, went to like 20. <laughs> so all our audience had to come from other places. And so the folks that listen, and there's multiple podcasts. We're on like 20 plus podcasts right now, which is really great. Worldwide, a lot of things yeah. are going and they're growing fast. But on social media, we are still oppressed, suppressed, censored, restricted, and everything else. So, so word of mouth is what's really spreading the, the, the show here. But the point was, within a week, we had it solved. We had a, a major uh, internationally known, respected reporter, and we had a show within one week that basically solved the problem of COVID. And just me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those of us on action, you, those of us on action radio, uh, I've forgotten exactly when you joined, but uh, we had the problem solved in a week. So everything well, happened. I mean, I actually useless. had, yeah, the, the, uh, the issue that happened with hydroxychloroquine, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they've been using that for 20 years for lupus, right? Mm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, they they actually use it for lupus, um, and there's one other one that's that they, they, they always use it for, right, yeah. right, and um, ivermectin. You know, that it's you know the news the news is, um, uh, you know, they went nuts talking about, or it might be ivermectin. I could be getting it backwards. Uh, is that it? Might be ivermectin. Um, it's uh, that's is that too. the one they use yeah. for horses? What's that? Uh, well, yeah, they do, but it's, it's different. In fact, it's, it's funny you should say that because at 8.30, in about half an hour, uh, Candace is coming on, Cowboy Candace. And, uh, cowgirl, excuse me. I keep doing that. Sorry, Candace. Cowgirl Candace, who actually does run a horse riding service here in uh, Santa Rosa County. And so who better to talk to about horse medicine than somebody that actually deals with horses? So I'm going to ask her about that uh, when she gets on. But uh, the ivermectin is the same because horses are mammals. Uh, you know, people are mammals, you know, veterinary medicine and, and human medicine are the different additives. And of course, they're different portions, you know, or doses because horses weigh 1200 pounds, you know, so, you know, they weigh like 10 times more than we do. Uh, and so it's a different dose, but it's basically the same molecule. It's the same, uh, same medicine. And it does the same thing. Parasites, 
uh, cures infections, you know, cures viruses, it is, things like it that. It is hydroxychloroquine. It is. I had okay. to look it up. It's hydroxychloroquine. Well, okay. and, and, and I, I was just getting confused because it's been so long ago. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, one of my, one of my clients uh, has it and, and, and used it. And mm-hmm. she couldn't get the medicine because all the places locked up and said, we're not giving it to anybody. You know, and yeah. I'm like, and she's like, well, I've been, t- I've been taking this medicine for 12 years, 12 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. you know, and now you're going to tell me I can't get it. That, mm-hmm. that right there, uh, I, I think whoever did that and, and turned all that stuff off should be sued, like, until they can't ever survive anymore. Like, like why are you going to do that to somebody? So she had to go, I think, two months until they would turn it back on you know, and figure out how to get it, get it to her. And I mean, she was looking for other resources. She was going to other doctors and nobody was allowed to prescribe this stuff. Yep. You yep. know, the, the, and the, I do the, know the a pharmacy medicine. that did, uh, I had the inside information. There was a pharmacy I could have directed you to yeah. uh, where you could have gotten hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, she, and there's another name for it in, too. Yeah. She, there's, she, she got it figured out, but still she went two good. months without her meds. Um, you know, because of the through. And I mean, it was just absolutely asinine that people that were taking it before and then the news, I mean, look what they did to Joe Rogan. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Joe Rogan was on there talking about he used those those treatments. He refused to get the vaccine. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he, he will tell you that he is a left through and through. You know, mm-hmm. he's a, a very, very adamant uh, Bernie supporter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trashing him. Like, I, I know, actually don't have a problem with that. I respect Bernie. I just don't agree with him, but I respect his convictions and sure. his sincerity. I can deal with Bernie, Absolutely. Bernie Sanders easily. I can deal with anybody that's sincere. What I can't deal with are Marxists that want to destroy the country and destroy us and destroy our freedoms. That's very different. Right. Bernie's a socialist. Yeah. He's not a Marxist. Yeah. That's well, you, I mean, you saw the news. I mean, they were they were basically ridicule, ridiculing uh, uh, mm-hmm. Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and you know, I mean, lo and behold, as as more of the facts and truth come out, they're like, well, mm-hmm. this stuff probably really would have worked. <laughs> you know? And well, like, here's the thing the, too. Do you see, do you see the we news had, yeah. going back saying, you know, hey, we're gonna we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna back backtrack our uh, our story, you know, mm-hmm. about this because hey, we were wrong. No, they're not doing that. They're gonna double down. You know, and I think that's uh, that's that's absolutely disgusting, in my opinion. Well, it's worse than that. It's criminal. It's it's a crime against humanity. Um, do you hear the dogs barking in the background? Because across the street, they're going crazy right now. I'm actually trying to do the show with my windows open. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. All right. So, so let me. Uh, so again, there was a pharmacy I know that was able in the area. I'm not going to say who. Uh, mm-hmm. That was dispensing hydroxychloroquine. Um, there's another mm-hmm. name. I think it's called Plaquenil. Um, that's actually a, a, a brand name for hydroxychloroquine because hydroxychloroquine, and I, and I know people that have autoimmune diseases, okay? So lupus is an autoimmune disease. In other words, your, your body, you know, basically thinks that your body is dangerous and your body, you know, goes against your own body. Um, and so that's what lupus is. I'm not sure the exact medical stuff, but for, for those diseases, hydroxychloroquine is literally a lifesaver. You know, and, and so Peter Navarro, who was on the show last November, I'm going to try and get him back on now. Uh, he talked about uh, the fact that he had some 60 to 80 million uh, tablets of hydroxychloroquine he was going to send across the country. That would have kicked out uh, COVID within like two weeks. It would have been gone. Uh, and this was back in the, in the spring of 2020. So here's why they did it. Uh, do you have a couple more minutes or do you have to go? I, I, or I can explain it next week. Okay. All right. So let me give you the, 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 the quick and dirty version. So the law says very clearly that you cannot get an emergency use authorization for a new product when there's already an existing product that is approved and works. So the existing product that approved and works was hydroxychloroquine. It stops viruses. 
it would have, it kills the COVID virus. And Dr. Zelenko, who was a friend of mine before he passed away, uh, he explained it very clearly on the show. I've got the recordings. Uh, he said his hydroxychloroquine destroys the protein wall of the virus and zinc goes in and kills the virus and prevents it from replicating. So you need both hydroxychloroquine and zinc. That's how you stop a virus. Okay. So what mm-hmm. the, the, what the, 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 the health Nazis and Dr. Fascist did uh, was they said, okay, we don't want that. We want vaccines, but vaccines were experimental. They have never been approved. They're authorized, but they've never been approved. And the only way they got mm-hmm. the authorization was they had to, to, so to get a new authorization, there can't be a product that already exists that works. So they had to say hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. They had to demonize it. They had to ban it, especially after Trump said, yeah, it does work. <laughs> okay. So they took, right, a, right. A known, they took a known product that was legal, that was approved with a decades long, you know, use inexpensive, and they had to ban it so they could bring their illegal products onto the market under, under a, 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 an illegal guise of being the only solution. So to make their, their, their vaccine get an emergency use authorization, they had to destroy the product that was legal to bring on their illegal product. That's why they did it. That's why they had to ban hydroxychloroquine. Make sense? Oh, I'm sure it was, it was money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I bet it was money more than money. Hydroxychloroquine was, but, was cheap yeah. because it's been out for a long time. It's been proven, and they bring in mm-hmm. more expensive medication that everybody makes money off of. Yeah, but there are doctors who say some 90%, I've heard 85 to 95%, but let's just say 90% of the people that died either from or with COVID could have been saved with early treatments. That's the genocide. That's the crime against humanity. And that's what people are, are, the dam is starting to, go ahead. Well, nothing will ever happen. It's a nothing burger. Well, let's let's see, because, you know, I have a a theory that uh, it's time for the canaries to sing. I did a show on this yesterday. And the first canary to sing is Dr. Redfield, who said, yes, gain of function was done in the Wuhan lab. It was funded by Dr. Fascist. Uh, it did go through the NIH. And, of course, we're going to get the, the DOD uh, and the CIA connections. Uh, in fact, doctor, we have two doctors who said that. Dr. Peter McCullough was on the show, said that there's a Defense Department connection. And Dr. Robert Malone, like a week ago Friday, was on the show, said exactly the same thing. And so it's out there. So the canaries are singing because they don't want to go to jail. They don't want to be associated with this. And as they sing, right. more and more people will come up, and eventually we'll, we'll get to Dr. Fascist. But he can never pay back. He can never give restitution. He can never account for the millions of people that he's killed world, worldwide, all because he right. wanted to make money off vaccines that, that never would have come to market uh, under the current law, which said that we use the approved drugs first. And if they work, we don't give you the emergency for the, the things we don't know about. Right. That's why it's so, that's why it's so terrible. Yeah. On that note, I am in whole thing. I mean, look what it did to the economy. I mean, golly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, here we are. Well, I, I say, well, it's not, not all just that. The money the government spent on that, the money mm-hmm. the uh, government paid to people to, to do all these vaccines and all this stuff. You know I mean? It's, uh, it's just mm-hmm. nuts. I mean, it's, well, it's so hard is, to fathom. But... All that spending caused inflation. All the COVID spending. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, you got uh, oh, yeah, there was some politician that was on there uh, talking about, oh, uh, the government doesn't cause inflation. I think even Biden said that, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Throughout time, you can go back and, and look at the government spending and how it affected the economy and, and use that as your as your comparison. Well, that's my question maybe for next week is have there been natural uh, recessions just due to business cycles without any government involvement? Ooh, I'm sure yeah, that, man, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. I'd, have to, okay. I'd, have to go, I'd have to go look and, and, and crunch yeah. some numbers and see what I can find. But, yeah, I'll do it. 
That'd be interesting. Actually, Thank you very much. Yeah, a government recession oh. versus a natural economic business cycle yeah. recession. Yeah. I'll right, be sir. on. I'll be on next week. The following week of that, I will not be on. So you're I will be week. on. A, no, next week I'll be on. Um, the okay. following week after that, just kind of a heads up, I won't be on because I won't even be in the country. So. Ooh, well, I want to hear about you. Can you call in from your foreign place? We have a Skype line. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm on vacation, man. <laughs> okay, in that case, don't call in. No, I never, I never request that. Yeah. So I'll just put you yeah, off. Or that would be the 24th. I'll tell you about right? it afterwards. Huh? So that's the 24th? It is the 24th, yeah. So, okay, so that good. will be I – will not, I will not be on then. Just, just okay. full, fair warning. I no, will be fine. on on St. Patrick's Day in my Irish garb. Oh, sure, we're going to have a report on St. Patrick's Day. It'd be great to talk about recessions then. That'd be grand. Oh, thank you, Lottie. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Pick an accent. You got a good one, man. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a hobby. Right. Wait till we get Yoda on the, on the air, and then we'll talk about the force in the economic world. Mm. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to take off. Yep. Okay. We'll, Thanks, we'll, uh, we'll, Let's we'll get your number again. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Let's get your contact one yep. more time. You can give me at uh, 850-995-0082. Again, this is Eric Park, the uh, Action Radio Financial Advisor. Thank you, sir. We'll talk next week and then have a great trip. Take care. Whew. That was so much fun. <laughs> that was one of our best chats. You know, and uh, even got to throw in some fun accents as well. But, uh, yeah. So let me um, – I, I, I could play some stuff and take a break, or I've got, I've got a little bit of time before Candace gets here. And so let me, uh, let me just go back to my stories here because I'm kind of on a roll. <laughs> this is fun. So this is the article that uh, that uh, Cyanide 7 just sent me from the Netherlands. It's from Reuters, uh, which I believe is the German uh, news service. Like AP is American, Reuters is that. Uh, some of the UK sources, uh, uh, what is the Daily Mail, things like that. So Reuters says U.S. military tanks at Dutch port en route to NATO frontier. So you don't get this. In, this is why I have a uh, – an, oh, um, Cyanide 77, something you might want to do is if you start contributing to our international news group page on it. So it's the Action Radio International News Group. Uh, stories like this is what they And so join, become a member, uh, and, and post everything that's going on in Europe that you think we should know about here. Uh, that, would be, that would be fabulous if you could do that. All right. So U.S. military tanks at Dutch port en route to NATO frontier. This is by Reuters. This was from January 11th. So it's actually been... January, March, this is like a couple of months ago. This is, they got there. Amsterdam, January 11th, Reuters, a large number of U.S. Army tanks and military vehicles, what else is there, right, began arriving at the Dutch port of Vlissingen. Did I pronounce that correctly? Or is it Vlissingen? On, I think it's Vlissingen on Wednesday before uh, heading to Poland and Lithuania as part of efforts to strengthen NATO's eastern flank. Huh. <laughs> okay, I mean, how far does that flank go? Are we talking the entire of Eastern Europe? Is that what they consider the Eastern flank? You know, I guess uh, Belarus is, is more aligned with Russia. Uh, Ukraine is kind of split down the Dnieper River. You know, the, the Western half is, uh, is, is more aligned with Germany. The Eastern half is more aligned with Russia. <laughs> Wonder how that happened, right? Remember back World War II? Uh, so anyway, so that's Eastern flank. Okay, so here's the quote. Is there are about 1,250 pieces of military equipment coming into this port. And that's Colonel Robert Kellum, K-E-L-L-A-M, overseeing the operation on the U.S. side. Gee, I never saw him on the news. Hmm, what a surprise. It says the equipment includes M1 Abrams tanks. Those are the good ones. Bradley fighting vehicles. They're okay. <laughs> 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 1st Cavalry Division of Fort Hood, Texas. It's a long way from Fort Hood to Ukraine, folks. Okay. Anyway, such armed forces are helping with marine security and guarding the port area where the vehicles will be housed before they continue east. Are they being trucked? Are they being trained? 
uh, in other words, on a train, uh, or are they driving? <laughs> are they driving on the autobahn? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's where the autobahns were created initially. United States. The reason we have interstate highways is not so that you could take your family vacations. It's so that we could get troops, you know, from one end of the country to the other, and tanks as quickly as possible. In case of an invasion, that's what the highway system was for initially under Eisenhower. It was a defense project. Now it just so happens that you know your 57 Chevy, you know, had a lot more uh, uh, travel time they could uh, travel they could cover, you know, when the interstate started coming in. But that's what they were for. That's why uh, I've heard I have not seen, but I've heard rumors that a lot of stretches of our interstate highways uh, they mandate every so often a two mile straightaway. That two mile straightaway is an emergency runway for military aircraft, because two miles is, is over 10,000 feet, 10, 11,000 feet, that can accommodate generally the biggest of our airplanes. So what they do is they've made these two-mile straightaways, certainly take fighters, you know, so they have these two-mile straightaways where airplanes can land, big airplanes on our highways if it ever comes down to an emergency. Uh, there was an exercise not too long ago where they had A-10s landing on, on suburban streets. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's got the, so I'm, I'm reading the link now. Uh, let's, see, let's go back to Sinai 77. Who says, no. okay, says, had fun with a younger coworker, 23 years old, ran a frequency generator over 16,000 hertz. No one hears it except him. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Okay. Is there any other comment? Biden also said he didn't influence gas prices until they went down. Then he was working hard to lower the gas prices. Yeah, Biden's a liar. Uh, so I'm not going to worry too much about that. Uh, link, link to what? Uh, almost correct. Okay, so so clarify what link you're looking for. Uh, so anyway, there's so there's my there's my story on Reuters. All right, let's see. Uh, let me let me deal with more with some of the other things that are happening here. I'm going to get back to the article because I think this is kind of fun. And so Common Dreams, which is a a leftist publication, uh, and this is the the article author is Jake Johnson, J O H N S O N, March 9th, 2023. So yesterday. 171 Republicans and 150 Democrats vote down effort to withdraw troops from Syria. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, were among no votes on the resolution led by Representative Matt Gates, my member of Congress, and backed by progressives. So this is progressives reporting on progressives. But again, this is a really interesting coalition. So you've got the middle, you know, the business as usual permanent war class that just wants to keep tax dollars flowing to uh, their constituents and themselves. Uh, and their great lobbying jobs for, you know, military companies, you know, after, um, after they go, uh, after they work in Congress, uh, and then they'll go work for companies, and then they end up in an administration. That would be like Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, who came from Raytheon. I don't know what he did at Raytheon. Uh, probably was in the military before that. I'm sure he's a veteran. Uh, and then he went to Raytheon, you know, which is big missile systems, defense, contractor, radar, things like that. Now he's Secretary of Defense. And after this, he's going to go probably be a lobbyist again, or write a book, or go on speaking tours. Anyway, he, he's set for life. All right. Article says uh, more than 170 House Republicans and 150 Democrats. This is an interesting coalition, right? Because normally they don't agree. Uh, But they teamed up Wednesday to defeat a resolution aimed at withdrawing all remaining U.S. troops from Syria, a proposal led by (laughs) right-wing Representative Matt Gates and supported by members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So what are the chances of the Freedom Caucus and the Progressive Caucus getting together. This is why I find this so fascinating. This is the measure, just the, just the latest House push to bring the nation's years-long military presence in Syria to an end, failed by a vote of 103 to 321. So you've got 103 American patriots, both on the left and the right, and 325 business-as-usual deep staters, right? With Democrat House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Republican Speaker McCarthy uh, among those who are in the deep, straight, business-as-usual permanent war class. 
That was me, not the article. <laughs> he says the re- the article says the resolution. W- it makes it a little brighter, so I can read it. The resolution would have required the president or Brandon. He's not the president, but again, to remove 900 plus U.S. troops uh, from Syria within 180 days. That's six months, barring congressional action to authorize their continued presence. Well, of course, they get that right. Opponents of the resolution who support prolonging the occupation echoed the Pentagon claim that U.S. forces are needed in Syria to prevent a resurgence of ISIS and to ensure stability in the region. This is the Middle East. (laughs) You cannot ensure stability with 900 troops. That's just patently absurd. That's rational. And the second thing is to prevent a resurgence of ISIS. Well, ISIS came back. Trump got rid of ISIS. Okay. Trump got rid of, he killed them all. <laughs> he was in the military and they died. Um, so, per, so to prevent a research, you're not going to prevent a resurgence of ISIS with 900 troops either. So what the hell are they doing there? All right. The, you know, they're just occupying space. So anyway, and if ISIS comes back, we go in, we kill them, we go home. You don't need to leave troops there. See, people forget the troops don't have to stay in a place to, do, to be effective. We've got mobile forces. We've got global transportation. We've got jets on, on you know, 24-7 alert that can go anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. We can fix this pretty easily. It's not that hard. You need to send troops in, send them in. You get a friendly air base in Saudi Arabia or Italy. You land there. You go to the Middle East, do what you need to do, go back to the friendly air base, and then come home. Or you, inf- you reflu- refuel in flight. This is all doable without leaving a force of soldiers there. But the permanent war class likes to maintain the presence. So anyway, so we got a quote from Ryan Zinke of Montana, that's Z-I-N-K-E or Z-I-N-K-E for our, our Commonwealth listeners, who said either we fight them in Syria or we fight them here. That's not true. <laughs> you know, that's, this, is, this is like red flag laws. Well, we better take your guns because you might commit a crime with them someday, maybe. You can't do that. That's not constitutional. That defies innocent until proven guilty. It defies due process. And it defies everything that we hold true, that individuals you know, have rights. Once you commit a crime, see, that's how free society works. Okay? We, we don't stop you from what we think the crime is that you might do. That way everybody would be, would be guilty before they've done anything. Okay? But, you know, if you have a situation where you, you're, the government's in the crime prevention business, then they literally have to stop everybody. You know, how would you do that? Well, if you want to stop drunk drivers, you, you literally take all the cars off the road, all of them. Nobody goes anywhere. Does that make sense? No. That's why we don't do it. Same thing with gun owners. If you want to stop criminals, you're going to take the guns from all the law-abiding people? That's not going to do anything. It's even worse because the criminals will still have them. You know? So unless you take away all the guns in the country, which is impossible, and that includes the government, you know, you're still going to have people committing crimes with guns. But that's not the point of a free society because in doing so, you penalize the honest people. So whatever the government does in terms of crime prevention, they have to do it in a way that's not at the expense of the rights of the, of, of the honest law-abiding citizens. So whatever they do with, with criminals who commit crimes with guns, that's fine, okay? But you can't touch the honest law-abiding people and our right to uh, keep and bear arms. You know, same thing with uh, this war stuff. You can't have an entire war policy for what you think might happen in the future, maybe, and commit all resources to it and have people die uh, or get crippled and then come back just because of a policy of the, something may go wrong there? No, you wait till it does go wrong. Or you attack them before it goes wrong when you have evidence you know it's going to go wrong. But you don't just leave people there and all this time. And that's what's happening right now. It's crazy. <sighs> Opponents of the resolution who support prolonging the occupation echoed the Pentagon claim that U.S. forces are needed to... Oh, I already read that. I'm sorry. While lamenting the proposal's defeat, peace advocates noted that it garnered more Republican support than any previous war powers resolution. With 47 GOP yes votes, 56 House Democrats, including Representatives Ilhan Omar 
Ro Kahana, in other words, the squad, right? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Corey Bush. Boy, this is, this is the left of the left. <laughs> it's like the ultra left. All right. Teaming up with Matt Gates and uh, Bob Massey and some of the and uh, uh, Archie Taylor Green is an interesting coalition. So you wonder, you know, when you, when you saw the State of the Union uh, and Ocasio Cortez and Matt Gates were talking, this is probably what they were talking about. It makes sense. They actually agree on this issue, and it makes sense from from the left perspective. We don't want you know unjust wars, killing people for no reason, and sacrificing our troops. From the right perspective, we don't want unjust wars and people being killed for no reason. And, you know, it's basically the same logic, but you come at it from a from a freedom perspective and from a progressive perspective. It's really quite interesting. Anyway, it says there, we've got a quote here from, I'll tell, we'll find out in a minute. Uh, I guess it's Cory Bush. Uh, there is a new generation of thinking on two central issues. Oh, this is Kahana. Uh, Kana uh, told The Intercept following Wednesday's vote, a concern about wars and entanglements over the last 20 years that have not made us safer and a concern over the offshoring of our domestic production over bad trade deals that left, that left the working class and middle class uh, poorer. Yeah, so that's why they're doing it. They don't want to ruin the economy, but these are the same people spending trillions of dollars, you know, wasting on COVID, causing the inflation that's making the middle class and the lower class, uh, lower income classes poor. Then she says, or he says, I'm not sure who Kahana is. Let's see if I can find a first name here. Ro Kahana. Poop, that doesn't help. <laughs> so Ro Kahana says, <laughs> uh, Okana, I think it's Kahana. Uh, it's K-H-A-N-N-A. says, I believe that this new generation of political leaders can help fix those two mistakes that the country has made. And, there, and that there is an emerging consensus that we should not have our troops fighting overseas without congressional authorization. Absolutely agree. Okay. So uh, here I am agreeing with the progressive uh, Marxist. Uh, uh, Roe says, if the president wants to make the case for a certain presence that is required for America to protect the Kurds, that's the K-U-R-D-S, the Kurds, then he should come to Congress and work with us to make that case. So what they're basically saying, both the progressives, and, and the Freedom Caucus, what they're saying is that uh, link to Action Radio International. Okay, let me put, uh, I'll, find, uh, I'll find a Facebook link that I can put uh, there for. Uh, I'll probably do that during the – I'm going to take a, a commercial break, as they say, in a couple of minutes. I'll post that on the link for you then. But just go to Facebook. Go to Action Radio uh, International News Group. You know, that, that's where you find it. Facebook, uh, and then just put in the search window, Action Radio International News Group. And that's where it is. In fact, if you go to Facebook and put Action Radio in the search window, about 20 different groups are going to pop up because I've been busy. But I'll put it, I'll put it in the live chat so you can find it because uh, it would be really great to have a Netherlands connection reporting from Europe. I'll get you live one day. Uh, he's got a William Shatner comment here, which is kind of funny too. Um, but uh, you've got to read the live chat. And anybody who's listening live can read the live chat. So we need more of you listening live just for that purpose. All right, so that's where we stand. Uh, I got some more news, more issues, more things to talk about, and we got uh, Cowgirl Candace joining us. Is that right, Cowboy again? Let me see if I'm, I made that same mistake. Uh, yep, I did it again. <laughs> She's gonna hate me. Let me change that right now. Uh, just while I'm thinking about, I can't believe I did that again. That is so bad. It must be ingrained in my psyche, Cowboy instead of Cowgirl. So she's gonna, she's probably laughing me right now off the air. Change that. Okay, there we go. Now we're good. <laughs> That's what I wanted. All right, so let's go up. I think I moved something else. Okay, let's hit save. See if that works. Yep, it's now Cowgirl Candace. <laughs> All right, time is uh, 8.22. 8.22. We can take a break now. And what I'll do is I'll be back in a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to play commercials all the way until Candace. Take it, introduce something else. And then, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get yeah, back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. 
My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. From addiction to achievement, 
That is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Well, it looks like uh, Cowgirl Candace can't make it today, so she's busy. So uh, I'll just carry on and, uh, you know, talk about all the news I can. And here we go. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed. 
through writing the laws by which we are governed, and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, I played everything. <laughs> I got all my commercials covered. I got all my announcements covered. I got our regular stuff. Got my promos done. Uh, there's just a couple more I'll play at the end of the show, but basically that's it. So a little change of schedule. Uh, so Cowgirl Candace, she's uh, busy. Uh, she won't be able to join us. And so um, it's just us. Oh, excuse me. There we go. Um, so I've got uh, anybody wants to call in, and now's a good time. You know, anybody, uh, so I'm hoping Pianca will join us at some point. We'll go over the news. I got a bunch of articles too. I got things. It's kind of like the, Friday, I sort of tie things up. So I got the next hour and a half to kind of pull things together. I've got Cyanide77, who's texting in on live chat from, uh, from the Netherlands. And so uh, it's, it's afternoon there, it's morning here. Um, and I'm wondering what happened with Jen Clark last night. So Jen is in Australia, and she was on TNT radio, at least I think she was. Um, I haven't been able to, I didn't see her on the podcast uh, from last night. Uh, I think it's Damian Richardson. That's whose show it is. And, and what she did was work with me. Uh, we co-authored this uh, uh, Australian Bill of Individual Rights. And there's a lot of things that apply to many different countries. Uh, and so for Sinai 77, go to uh, our, our, our website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Click on legislation, click on all proposed laws, and click on the Australian Bill of Individual Rights, and uh, you'll see some pretty cool stuff there. Um, what I might do is post that, that live chat also, you know, depending on uh, – so it's not too hard to find. Uh, but anyway, that's a good way to do that. Uh, or you can email me at greg at writeyourlaws.com, and we can connect that way, and I can send you stuff, and we can correspond. So greg at writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. I can put that in live chat too. W R I T E Y O U R L A W S laws.com. Yeah, now everybody's got it. That's where we do our stuff. <laughs> That's where we write our laws. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool how that works out. Okay, so let me come back. I, I guess I'm just going to go through all these different uh, uh, things that I found. Let's get this, let's get this, talk about Benghazi because the one thing that is missing. Um, from this this uh, complete story on Syria and withdrawal of of, uh, of American forces uh, is the fact that uh, one of the big components of uh, the Syria involvement uh, was Benghazi, and so if you remember Chris Stevens uh, and the other, oh, I should uh, I mean I, I've got the faces right in mind, but uh, there were four two Marines and I think one uh, Navy guy or someone else that was killed uh, at the U.S. Embassy wasn't the no, the U.S. Uh, consulate uh, in Benghazi, which is in Libya. And so what, what this was was a conduit for arms. Basically, they, they made Chris Stevens, the ambassador, who should have been in Tripoli, uh, sent him up to Benghazi and made him a gunrunner uh, for Hillary Clinton um, and the CIA to, I think, you know, give guns to ISIS, the same group that they, they say they're fighting. You know, they don't want to have rise up again, <laughs> even though I think they were arming them uh, during uh, Obama's administration uh, to, uh, to end the Assad regime. So in other words, uh, these arrogant neocon concert well not conservative these arrogant neocon neoconservative uh, in other words new conservatives you know what i call the permanent war class uh feels completely justified in ending somebody else's regime uh, or government 
You know, they, they felt perfectly comfortable, you know, committing fraud in Israel to get rid of Netanyahu, uh, to support Justin Trudeau in Canada, as, as opposed to people that actually wanted Canadian freedom, uh, and other folks in, in the, the World Economic Forum Young Communist League. Uh, they supported Macron in France over uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, I think Le Pen actually won that election, but with vote fraud didn't. Uh, I know they did uh, Baldessario in Brazil. You know, he won the election there. And, of course, the, the permanent war class and the, the international folks, you know, uh, frauded that election, too. And so they did the same thing with Trump in 2020. So this is a worldwide problem uh, of these, of these uh, basically dictators, permanent war people, you know, folks that make a profit off the death of, of uh, everybody else. And they're, they're fine with it. You know, COVID was the same problem, same problem, same plan. Anyway, so what's missing from the story, what's missing from all the news sources, what's missing from everything? to do with Syria and this vote that just took place in Congress uh, is a report on Benghazi. So let me do that. <laughs> you know, I've got a website here, the Justice Integrity Project, another very left-wing um, website, which says, learn the truth about Benghazi before Syria votes. Does the public deserves to know the facts about, ben- about the Benghazi massacre in 2012 uh, before approving the bombing of Syria sought by President Obama? So I don't think it was a massacre in 2012, but... That's what they're calling it. All right. It says, persistent reports suggest the CIA was using Benghazi last year as a base to smuggle arms and foreign fighters to overthrow Syria's government. That would be Assad. Was Benghazi President Obama's version of the Iran-Contra scandal? Good question. The Iran-Contra scandal, which I also found disgusting, is when Ronald Reagan, uh, through Ollie North, uh, sold uh, weapons illegally to the government of Iran, why I don't know, took the profits from those arms sales and gave them illegally to this army that was the anti-Sandinista army trying to overthrow Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, known as the Contras. Well, Contra, I think, is Spanish for against, <laughs> you know. Uh, so there's a county in, in uh, California, in the Bay Area, where I used to live, Contra Costa, which means against the coast. So, so the Contras, the against, <laughs> you know, army, uh, was funded illegally by arms that, were, that shouldn't have been sold, and the money was taken illegally instead of going to the U.S. Treasury, uh, where it should have gone, uh, was, uh, was sent by Reagan down to Nicaragua. So that was the Iran-Contra scandal. So that was illegal. Uh, and so was this. <laughs> you know, uh, so was Benghazi. Illegal. I don't, I don't remember Congress ever authorizing uh, the, the smuggling of guns through Benghazi to give to uh, ISIS or whoever else, they say foreign fighters, uh, to overthrow Syria's government. We, we should not be in the business of overthrowing governments. We just shouldn't. Anyway, so since this background was one of my major themes September 3rd during a nearly hour-long interview on September 3rd on AMFM of New Orleans regarding my new book, Presidential Puppetry, Obama, Romney, and Their Masters. <laughs> See, that's, that would be funny because you think about it. So, so look who they grouped together. Presidential Puppetry. Obama, Romney, and their masters. So who are their masters, right? Thus, this is Garland Robinette, a longtime host on the 50,000-watt CBS affiliate, otherwise known as a radio blowtorch, right? Provided a probing interview on the book Substance for some 50 minutes, interrupting, interrupted by ads and a news break. <laughs> uh, that is a long session for a general interest uh, station broadcast to five states. Okay, what? 50-minute interview? I do, I do two-hour interviews. What are you, what's wrong with you people? All right. So enough to start with that already. Learn the truth, learn the truth. Where is that story? All right, so let's get rid of that one. Author use of military force. So this is the AUMF. And so the AUMF, the authorization for the use of military force, is how Congress gets around the declaration of war requirement before you know, the troops go in. And so this is from NPR. So again, I'm getting all the, all the socialist sources today. NPR, in my opinion, should not exist. 
because or should not exist, should not be funded by taxpayers. If they want to form a commercial radio news network uh, and do commercials like everybody else, that's fine. Got no problem with that. Um, if you're going to give them uh, subsidies, then all media should get subsidized, and that would include Action Radio. It is discriminatory to have taxpayers fund NPR and not fund Action Radio. That's illegal as far as I'm concerned because, it's un, it, first of all, it's discriminatory. Uh, it's, it's unfair in terms of commerce and is against the 14th Amendment equal protection. We in the, in the private media are not getting the, uh, the equal protection that NPR gets, and that's why they don't have to have as many commercials because they get taxpayer money um, that I would never give them, <laughs> especially having a competing media. All right, so here's, here's – but since they do exist and they do have an interesting article, I'm going to report on it. Yeah, my, my hypocrisy you know, knows no bounds. So it comes from their section, NPR parallels when the U.S. military strikes, White House points to a 2001 measure. And this is from September 6th of 2016. So this would have been right before the 2016 election, the November election, that elected Donald Trump. So we're between the Republican convention and the election. This is when this was. This is just about before I went into open heart surgery. <laughs> so I remember that time really well. All right. So the article said, let's see if we have an author here, uh, Mary Louise Kelly. I know that name. And so Mary Louise Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, wrote this article who said, she said, the Pentagon Press Secretary, Peter Cook, walked into the Pentagon briefing room on the afternoon of August 1st with an announcement that the U.S. had just launched airstrikes against Islamic State targets in Libya. So Islamic State, I think, is the, the, the name after ISIS, um, which uh, Obama called ISIL, you know, for the Levant you know, because he couldn't say ISIS because he was Muslim and couldn't criticize his fellow Muslims. And so he made up a new name, you know, ISIL, <laughs> instead of ISIS, which we all called it. And then they, I guess they tried to appease everybody and call it the Islamic State. I believe that's the, the, the genealogy of the nomenclature, as it were. Article says reporters in the room jumped in with questions. Why now? What are these targets? What is the end goal? Good questions, even from liberals. Finally, well into Cook's briefing, briefing a reporter raised her hand and asked under what legal authority were the strikes being conducted. And here we go. So Cook, uh, Peter Cook, uh, Pentagon Press Secretary Peter Cook says under the 2000, this is 2016, okay, says under the 2001, in other words, 15 years ago, the 2001 authorization for the use of military force, similar to our previous airstrikes in Libya. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) So they can attack Syria Libya, you know, and do an Iraq, <laughs> who else, under a military authorization from 2001, 15 years previously? That's interesting. Then it says the press conference moved quickly on, but take a minute to wrap your head around Cook's words. Congress passed the 2001 Authorization for Use of Military Force, AUMF, in the frantic days after September 11th attacks. It cleared both the House and the Senate with overwhelming majorities. Yeah, that's what happens. You want to get something through Congress that's unconstitutional? Do it right after a disaster. In fact, cause the disaster in the first place, make it happen even faster. We'll talk about 9-11 another day. <laughs> well, we can talk about it now. I don't care. 215-383-3832. Congress passed the authorization to military force. It cleared both the House and the Senate with overwhelming majorities, of course, because nobody wanted to be labeled unpatriotic. You know, after uh, Iran used Saudi pilots uh, to fly airplanes into our buildings, and somehow they all collapsed <laughs> with demolition charges probably the base. So you got two things going on. You got airplanes crashing at the top. You got charges going off in the bottom. The buildings collapse uniformly straight down. Building seven. Of, nine, of the, um, the World Trade Center complex collapses without even being hit by an airplane. Wow, that was interesting. There we go. So it's cleared both the House and the Senate with overwhelming majorities, just one no vote between both chambers. I wonder who that was. 
The AUMF, the Authorized Use of Military Force, was designed to give President Bush the power to use force, obviously, to defend the U.S. against future attacks. It runs just 60 words. Now, it's interesting that, uh, <laughs> that something that would be, you would think, fairly technical and limiting in its scope and have a whole bunch of words. No, the use of force is only 60 words, and here they are. That the president is authorized to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons, in other words, everybody, <laughs> he determines, he determines, the president determines, okay, planned, authorized, committed, or aided, you know, they helped, right, the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11th, 2001, or harbored such organizations or persons in order to prevent any future acts of international terrorism against the United States by such nations, organizations, or persons. In other words, in plain English, the president can do anything they want if they say that it has something to do with 9-11. That's impossibly vague. That, that, this is why we got the Patriot Act and all these other horrible things that happened to us. Then it says an expanded definition. In short, this is from NPR. The 2001 authorization grants the president a congressional stamp of approval to use force against those responsible for the September 11th attacks and those who harbored them. In other words, against al-Qaeda uh, and the Taliban. That's what we got in Afghanistan, right? Today, a decade and a half later, the Obama administration argues that the authorization continues to apply to U.S. military actions in Afghanistan, also that it applies in Iraq, Syria, and beyond, including the ongoing air campaign in Libya against ISIS, a group that did not exist 15 years ago. And I believe ISIS is the same group that they're running guns to to attack Syria. So they're doing it on both ends. And this is September 2016. Okay? So all these countries were at war at, from a measure that happened in 2001 after 9-11, they're reporting on this in 2016, and we're still in Syria in 2023, based on a, on a, on a, uh, a law that was passed in 2001. That's insane, <laughs> you know, against a group that didn't exist when, the, when the, the bill was passed. ISIS wasn't around 15 years ago, when, uh, when this, uh, you know, 15 years before this was written. It's really quite fascinating. Then it says, under domestic law and international law, the United States is at war with al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and their associated forces, said President Obama in a 2013 speech at the National Defense University. She would never hear about them. I wonder what they learned there. They're probably woke now. Probably learned how to, uh, you know, uh, dress like women. Uh, says President Obama, that sought to explain the legal reasoning. Quote, we are at war with an organization that right now would kill as many Americans as they could if we did not stop them first. So this is a just war, a war waged proportionately in last resort and self-defense. Okay, so we're going to war against an organization? <laughs> no, you kill the organization leaders and you go home. That's what you do because the, the, the masses, the conscripts, they don't want to fight. They do it, uh, they're only fighting so they don't get shot. Oh, I'm sure there are true believers in there too. Anyway, describing ISIS as an associated force of al-Qaeda and the Taliban is controversial. <laughs> no kidding. Many terrorism experts call it a stretch when ISIS and al-Qaeda are now actively fighting each other in Syria and elsewhere. The White House did try to update the authorization, sending Congress proposed new wording last year, but the effort went nowhere in Congress. Both Republicans and Democrats hated it. Some called it too broad, others not broad enough. Plus, after the 2003 Iraq invasion, casting a vote on military force carries political risk. What's interesting about this, I find, um, is that, this is a longer article than I thought, eh, we're almost done, uh, is that the same people that proposed defeating um, ISIS 
and uh, and going, you know, and, and you know, having a, a measure against Iran later turned around and aided Iran in getting a nuclear bomb. <laughs> you know, in other words, the, the same Obama administration that appears to be fighting these groups um, went all out to aid Iran with a nuclear bomb. And they're the folks that sponsored 9-11. That's what Claire Lopez told us. And she's CIA. She knew. Right. So Iran. You know, spent the money, hired the, the Saudi pilots, brought them to the United States, uh, got them here, destroyed the buildings. Um, they all got flown home. Uh, uh, you know, El, uh, what's his name? Um, who's the mastermind? You know who I'm talking about. Uh, Osama bin Laden. So Osama bin Laden's family gets flown out by the, by the Bush. Air. The only planes that left the United States, you know, after 9-11 were the Osama bin Laden family members on airplanes that George Bush said, yeah, go ahead, go home. We don't need you. Yeah, right. This is why I'm suspicious of the Bush involvement in 9-11, because it just, it just too many questions here. Anyways, as a captain, sues the president. This is where things have stood ever since. And this is the state of affairs that an Army intelligence officer, Captain Nathan Smith, is seeking to challenge in a lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, the defendant in the suit, Smith's commander-in-chief, Barack Obama. So you guys forget about this, right? I did, too. Here's the backdrop. Captain Smith is active duty. He was deployed to Kuwait, another place we had a bogus war, as an Army intelligence analyst supporting the campaign against ISIS. He argues that he's been given an illegal order and directed to obey an illegal order by the president. And this is from Michael Glennon, professor of international law at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. That's where all the State Department people go. All those people that end up in the high positions in the Foreign Service and the State Department, they go to the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Okay. This is one of the lawyers supporting Smith. In his suit, Glennon argues that Congress never signed off on the war against ISIS and that sending troops to war without such authorization violates the War Powers Resolution. That's a law that Glennon helped draft as a Senate lawyer back in 1973. So I'm not going to go into more of the details because I'm bored with it already. But the point is that you've got the authorized use of military force. You've got the War Powers Act. Both of these things, you know, are unconstitutional. <laughs> you know, the only thing that's constitutional is that Congress gets to declare war. That's their job. And then they don't have them doing it. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to, I'm going to put little uh, disbursements of music uh, and little breaks here in between, so I don't sound like a, a monologue for a few hours. I may not do the show for the full time today. It depends who calls or who uh, who texts in. Next thing we do, analyze more of of Benghazi because Benghazi is fascinating. There's so much to that. Any other things here? This is how NPR. This is from Cyanide seventy seven in the Netherlands. NPR. Here you have money as long as you talk about what we want you to talk about. Exactly right. I call it the, 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 the Socialist News Network or the Communist News. Well, actually, CNN is the Communist News Network. NPR is National Socialist Radio, but it amounts to the same thing. I've been playing some music here for, for a bit. Well, then we, I, have, I have all these musical selections, classic things. I need to do more of my sarcastic pieces because you've all heard them too many times. You've heard uh, you know, all the things that I did with um, uh, you know, the, the – where's my, my, my latest one? Uh, the the, the new, new Normal Church and Grocery Store. You've heard that one a bunch of times. I'm going to have some of my other ones here. I think I've got some political for you. I'm just going to scroll through. This is what happens when I'm left alone, you know, for the whole, the whole show, and I need to play things. And I played that. Those are my ends. I've done that. Yeah, it's boring. Okay. Played that, played that, played that. What else can I play for you guys? It's fun. Crowd cheers. Got that, got that. Themes. No, I don't do that. More themes, more stuff, more themes, more stuff. Music. What are my cool things? Uh, hold, on, hold off on that a little bit. Let me give some jazz. <laughs> I'm in the mood for jazz. Well, you guys want to hear some blues and jazz? Let's do that. Let's. It's about four minutes worth. It's kind of fun. So I'm going to take a break, play some music, and I'm going to regroup and find you some more uh, articles to cover in, in Benghazi. And I'll be right back in a little bit.
Was that fun? <laughs> How many people take a jazz break <laughs> right in the middle of their show? Well, I, it's just me here, so you know. I got uh, I got uh, my one person in the Netherlands. I got Sinai seventy seven. I've got me and nobody's calling in two one five three eight three three eight three two. It's probably a nice day out there. It's Friday. Everybody's going to having fun, uh, and that's okay. I understand. So now that I've had a little break, let me get you some more of these Benghazi articles. I'm going to talk about some of the other things in the news, and I got about another hour. Uh, I'll see if I can cover everything. That. Next week, we're going to start with uh, uh, the, the censorship uh, industrial complex, which should be interesting. So back to Benghazi. So we got bombshell. U.S. was smuggling guns to Syria through Benghazi consulate. So this is, these are the stories you're not hearing. Uh, and this is critical to understand. If you want to understand the Syria vote, you've got to understand our involvement uh, with running guns through Benghazi, which was completely illegal. But, of course, Hillary was never really asked about and would have denied it anyway. So this is Keith Farrell, uh, May 2015 who said Fox News has finally confirmed what has long been alleged. The U.S. government secretly ran guns from Benghazi to Syria prior to the attacks on the U.S. consulate there, which transpired on September 11, 2012. So this is three years later. So it's still pretty current news. It says U.S. intelligence agencies were fully aware that weapons were moving from the terrorist stronghold in Libya to Syria before the attack that killed four Americans. September 16th, 2020, excuse me, 2012, DIA, that would be Defense Intelligence Agency memo, copied to the National Security Council, that would be the NSC, CIA, and others, concluded the Benghazi terrorist attack was planned at least 10 or more days in advance. Of course it was. The memo also tied the attack to 9-11. No discussion of a demonstration or anti-Mohammed video. Well, it was tied to, you know, it was tied to 9-11 because it happened on 9-11, you know, in 2016. Okay, so, uh, yeah, gee, what a surprise, right? Or was it 2012? Yeah, 2012. So it was basically, I guess, uh, 11 years later. Terrorists are big on symbolism, as are the Marxists. It says U.S. officials were aware that weapons were being shipped to Syria by the port of Benghazi. The theory that, that, uh, excuse me, the theory has long been circulated that the State Department, run by Hillary, right, uh, was indeed moving guns off the radar from Libya through Turkey to Syria to support Islamic revolutionary groups there. It has been alleged that this gun-running operation is connected to the attacks on the U.S. conflict. Duh. <laughs> Senator Rand Paul famously questioned then-Secretary uh, of State Hillary Clinton over gun-running in Benghazi. Many scoffed at Paul, but it seems he will be having the last laugh as intelligence reports have now vindicated his line of inquiry. Here's the transcript of Rand's questions to Hillary. So Hillary is a master of deception uh, and lies. Uh, She is so sociopathic that she can lie with a smile on her face. She can lie as if she were telling the truth. She can lie when the truth would serve her better. She can lie. She's just one of the constant. She's probably the best liar I think I've ever seen. Maybe Obama runs a close second, but Hillary, nobody lies better than Hillary. Back to the transcript. Senator Rand Paul, my question is, is the U.S. involved in any procuring of weapons, transfer of weapons, buying, selling, anyhow, transferring weapons to Turkey out of Libya? Hillary Clinton, to Turkey? (laughs) Wow, I'm shocked and surprised. I'll have to take a look at the question for the record, that nobody's ever raised that with me. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Nobody would dare, right? Senator Rand Paul, it's been in the news reports that ships have been leaving from Libya and that they may have weapons. Uh, and what I'd like to know is that annex that was close by, uh, were they involved with procuring, buying, selling, obtaining weapons, and were any of these weapons being transferred to other countries, any countries, Turkey included? So Democrats, you know, they, they hate guns for Americans, but they, they seem to love guns for everybody else. It's, it's really quite interesting. 
Hillary Clinton. Well, Senator, you, I'm surprised she didn't say, thank you for asking the question. See, this is how the, 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 the Marxists take up time. So the whole purpose of, of when you're before Congress, you want to take up time when the Republicans are asking you questions. First thing you say is, thank you for asking the question. Duh, they're there to answer questions. You don't have to thank them for it. That's their job. Uh, and secondly, it wastes time. So anytime someone says that, then they give an answer that has nothing to do with the question. And then uh, what the Democrats learn to do is say, I'm reclaiming my time. In other words, shut the hell up. <laughs> you know. And uh, Republicans are starting to say that, too. It's about time. Back to the article. Hillary Clinton. Well, Senator, you'll have to direct that question to the agency that ran the annex. And I will see what information was available. In other words, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Senator, you don't have to know. Senator Rand Paul, you're saying you don't know. Hillary Clinton, I do not know. I do not have any information on that. I do not like green eggs and ham. No, sorry, I'm just kidding. So when Hillary Clinton says, I do not know, that's a lie. <laughs> I can't imagine there's anything that Hillary Clinton doesn't know about uh, for any operation that she's in charge of, and that would include the whole State Department. Paul went on to accuse, back to the article, the Obama administration of illegally running guns to Syria rebels without congressional approval. Turns out he was right. Of course he was right. That was the whole point. Next source, that was the Federalist. Uh, this is our source, our next source, in our hip play some more music, is uh, Breitbart, Benghazi Commission, Obama administration gun running scheme, armed Islamic State. And this would be 30th November 2015, so this would be after. No, this would be 2015. So this would be, uh, yeah, about the same time. So this is before the, the year before the 2016 election. When was the last one? Was that uh, was it 2015 also? Let me just make sure my timeline. Uh, that was 2015 too. So yeah, it wasn't right before. It wasn't between the, I was wrong. I, I have to correct myself here. That 2015 was not the, the election year that Trump was elected the following year Trump was elected. So this is the year before Trump was elected, 2015 in the fall. And Breitbart says the Obama administration pursued a policy in Libya back in 2011 that ultimately allowed guns to walk into the hands of jihadists linked to the Islamic State, ISIL, ISIS. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm talking too much again. So uh, we called it ISIS. Obama called it ISIL. Uh, and Al-Qaeda uh, in Syria, according to a former CIA officer who co-authored a report on behalf of the Citizens Commission on Benghazi, the CCB, detailing the gun running scheme. Says in Congress, the, the then bipartisan group known as the Gang of Eight, at a minimum, knew of the operation. So the Gang of Eight, that's, those are the folks that get the most sensitive, secret intelligence briefings. And they're supposed to be the guardians that say, you can't do this anymore. We're, we're not going to tell you what it is you can't do, but you can't, you know, they're not going to tell the public what they can't do, but they tell the people that are doing it, you can't do that anymore. That's what the Gang of Eight's job is. It's to review the most sensitive security stuff and put the brakes on. Otherwise, the whole Congress has to take it up and then everybody finds out. Anyway. Gang of Eight, at the minimum, knew of the operation to aid and abet America's jihadists. In other words, uh, jihad means struggle, if I, if I get it right. And the biggest jihad is against the United States. You know, they're trying to over, overthrow the United States and Israel. Right? So America's jihadist enemies by providing them with material support. So says Claire Lopez. Oh, she's been on the show. <laughs> oh, this is interesting now. So says Claire Lopez, former CIA officer and the primary author of CCB's interim report titled How America Switched Sides in the War on Terror, Speaking with Breitbart News. So I should, call, I should call Claire about this. We're still in touch. All right. He says, the ripple effects of the illegal policy to arm America's enemies continue to be felt as the U.S. military is currently leading a war against ISIS and AQ, that's Al-Qaeda, terrorists in Iraq and Syria, according to Lopez. In late October, Defense Secretary Ash Carter said that the U.S. would begin, quote, direct action on the ground, unquote, against ISIS terrorists in Iraq and Syria who may have reaped the benefits from the gun running scheme that started in Libya. The Obama administration, here's a quote, effectively switched sides in what used to be 
uh, called the Global War on Terror, the GWOT. I guess that's GWAT. <laughs> anyway, when it decided to overthrow the sovereign government of our Libyan ally, Muammar Gaddafi. Remember when, when Hillary says, you know, I came, I saw, I conquered, he died, or something to that effect. Anyway, uh, so Gaddafi wasn't a great guy, but uh, he wasn't that bad either compared to a lot of people in the Middle East. But uh, he was definitely a dictator, you know, but uh, compared to what happened uh, afterwards, yeah. Anyway, and he at least was a U.S. ally. Uh, and so, so anyway, uh, we should get an expert on that that knows. Uh, I miss having Claire on the show a lot because she was really smart and very informative. Anyway, so the Libya ally, Muammar, Muammar Gaddafi, who'd been helping the, in the fight against al-Qaeda. So he was working with us, right? By actually teaming up with and facilitating gun running to Libyan al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood elements there in 2011. Muslim Brotherhood are the folks that Obama supported that took over Egypt. And this is anyway explains from, from Lopez. Now, not the Muslim Brotherhood stuff. That was my stuff, but she knows about that too. Says this U.S. gun running policy in 2011 during the Libyan revolution was directed by then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and the late Libya ambassador Christopher Stevens, who was her official to the Libyan al-Qaeda rebels. So it wasn't ISIS they were sending guns to, it was al-Qaeda. They were sending guns to al-Qaeda through Benghazi to overthrow Assad of Syria. All against the Constitution, all against Congress. They didn't even know about it. Then it says, to avoid having the funds tracked back to the Obama administration, the arms flow to Libya was financed through the United Arab Emirates, while Qatar served as the logistical and shipping hug, hub. So you've got money from UAE. You've got logistical support from Qatar. You've got gun running from Libya to Al-Qaeda, our enemy, you know, all to overthrow Syria, Assad, uh, Assad of Syria. Hmm. And you think the government knows how to spend your money? <laughs> Let's look at Ukraine. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Then it says, in 2012, the gun running into Libya turned around and began to flow outward from Benghazi to the Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood-dominated rebels in Syria. Uh, Lopez adds, she says, this time it was the CIA base of operations that was in charge of collecting up and shipping out surface-to-air missiles, that would be known as SAMs, from Libya on Libyan ships to Turkey, for overland delivery to a variety of jihadist militias, some of whose members later coalesced into groups like Jabhat al-Nusra and ISIS, also known as IS, the Islamic State. Jabhat al-Nusra is al-Qaeda's Syrian affiliate. Like one big happy family, right? The downstream consequences of Obama White House decisions in the Syrian conflict are still playing out, but certainly the U.S., and particularly the CIA, support of identifiable jihadist groups associated with the Muslim Brotherhood, Jabhat al-Nusra, al-Har al-Sham, the Islamic State, and other jihadists, in other words, Muslims who hate us, has only exacerbated what was already a devastating situation. That's according to Claire Lopez. I got to get her back on the show. (laughs) She got busy. She's doing other stuff, but it'd be really nice uh, to have her back to explain the Benghazi connection in the the Syrian gun running to what's happening uh, now with the Syrian troops. Uh, I wonder what they're doing. They're not telling us, you know. And how come Matt Gates isn't on top of this? Well, maybe he is and he's not telling us. But I've already, uh, you know, I'm going to get hold of his uh, office and say, hey, how come you guys aren't tying Benghazi into this? I'm really curious. All right. Then it says some of the other weapons that eventually ended up in Syria included thousands of man-portable air defense systems, so man pads. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, I wonder what the acronym MANBOOB stands for. But anyway, man pads, missile units, such as shoulder-launched SAMs, uh, from late dictator Muammar Gaddafi's extensive armed stockpile that posed a threat to low-flying aircraft, especially helicopters. Yeah, helicopters are really vulnerable to missiles because they fly slowly. And those big turbine engines create a big heat signature, which missiles can get rather quickly. 
It says, uh, here's another, I think there's another Lopez quote. Uh, it's been reported that President Obama signed an executive order on Syria in early 2012. Notice he didn't hear about that. Just as he'd done in Libya in early 2011, probably illegally also, that legally covered the CIA and other U.S. agencies that otherwise would have been in violation of aiding and abetting the enemy in time of war and providing material support to terrorism. Uh, Lopez says, still, such blatant disregard for U.S. national security can only be described as deeply corrosive of core American principles. Yeah, absolutely. Libya's Ambassador Stevens was killed by jihadists in Benghazi on September 11, 2012, along with three other Americans. I wish to say the name of them here because I want to try and get their names out. Echoing a Benghazi resident who provided a firsthand account of the incident, retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Dennis uh, Haney, <clears throat> A CCB member suggested to Breitbart News that Hillary Clinton's State Department armed some of the Al-Qaeda-linked jihadists who may have killed the four Americans in Benghazi. Uh, it says the reason the U.S. government was operating in Libya is absolutely critical to this debacle because it reflects where America went off the tracks and literally switched sides in the, uh, the GWOT. This is about who we are as a country, as a people, where we are going with this republic of ours. Uh, she says, there can be no greater treason than aiding and abetting the jihadist enemy in time of war or providing material, weapons, funding, intel, NATO bombing, support to terrorism, she continued. The reason Benghazi is not the burning issue it ought to be is because so many at the top levels of the U.S. government were implicated in wrongdoing. Okay, so there we go. It's the deep state, right? Deep state. That's why, that's why, ben, that's why Matt Gates and other folks aren't talking about the Benghazi issue along with the Syria vote. It's too hot to handle. The big, the big folks, you know, there's only so far I guess they're going to go, which means I have to talk about it. You know, Breitbart talked about it. I'm going to talk about it today. I don't see any articles relating this. In fact, I looked. I looked for the Benghazi connection to the Syria vote today. There's nothing on it. At least not yet. At least it wasn't when I started the show. Maybe now. <laughs> anyway, this is White House, Pentagon, and Intel Community CIA, Gang of Eight, at a minimum in Congress, the Department of State, etc., so those are the top people. So let me tell you who's involved with this again. White House, that'd be Obama at the time. Pentagon, that'd be, I don't know, was Millie there? Intel community, that's all of our intelligence agencies. The CIA, one of our intelligence agencies. The Gang of Eight, the members of Congress that get all the secret information. Uh, and, the, and the Department of State, which was run by Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and you put those people in charge? Well, the quote is now, or this is from the article, the State Department and the CIA did not respond to Breitbart News request for comment. Of course not. Clinton was asked about the gun-running operation when testifying before the House Select Committee on Benghazi. Okay, she was asked. The Democrat presidential frontrunner, before Trump beat her, that's me, claimed she was not aware of any U.S. government efforts to arm jihadists in Libya and Syria. In other words, she lied. Clinton did admit to being open to the idea of using private security experts, in other words, mercenaries, okay, contractors, uh, to arm the Qaddafi opposition, which included al-Qaeda elements, but added that it was not considered seriously. The 2011 Gang of Eight mentioned in this report was comprised of a bipartisan group of lawmakers from both chambers. In other words, the elite, you know, the deep staters. Lopez is the vice president for research analysis of the Center for Security Policy and a senior fellow of the London, Senator, London Center for Policy Research. Why do you know she was with them? That's Herb London. He was on the show before he died. Brilliant man. Met him at uh, CPAC in 2018. Uh, I, think, I remember Claire Lopez being at the Center for Security Policy, but she since left, left them. And the other day was Canadian Megan Institute. This is interesting. I gotta, I'm going to show this article and say, hey, Claire, what's going on? What's the current thing? See if I can get it back on the show. So in the next one here, this is Town Hall. Uh, I'll probably take another break here in a second. Confirmed, weapons were moving through Benghazi to Syria. This is Katie Pavlich, who we all know, May 18, 2015. So all these articles came out about the same time. 
Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton testified in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee January 2013. Uh, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Okay, I already covered that. Confirmed weapons. I think I probably covered all this. Let's see if I can find you a new angle. The Telegraph. Let's get the London uh, thing. Here's Damien McElroy of the Telegraph of England, August 13, 11.06 p.m. The CIA has been subjugating operatives to monthly polygraph tests. Oh, this is interesting. So here we got the, uh, you want me to do a free trial? No, sorry. So Telegraph. So this is British press, right? You want to know what's going on in the United States? Read the British press. CIA running arms smuggling team in Benghazi when consulate was attacked. The CIA has been subjecting operatives to monthly polygraph tests in an attempt to suppress details. First them, the lie detector. <laughs> if you're using a lie detector to suppress information, so it's not telling the truth, it's making sure they don't tell the truth. So they ask, did you tell the truth about this? No. <laughs> so they're using a lie detector test to actually keep secrets. That's fascinating. I'll start again. The CIA has been subjecting operatives to monthly polygraph tests in an attempt to suppress details of a reported U.S. arms smuggling operation in Benghazi that was ongoing when its ambassador was killed by a mob in the city last year, according to reports. It wasn't killed by a mob. It was killed by a bunch of, uh, uh, of uh, army folks, uh, you know, or like a civilian militia um, that uh, was responding to uh, gun running out of Benghazi. Duh. Telegraph says, up to 35 CIA operatives were working in the city during the attack last September on the U.S. consulate that resulted in the death of Ambassador Chris Stevens and three other Americans. Why don't you guys list their other names? Oh, so disgusted. All right. The circumstances of the attack are a subject of deep division in the U.S., with some congressional leaders pressing for a wide-ranging investigation into suspicions that the government had withheld details of its activities in the Libyan city. No kidding. The television network said that the CIA team was working in an annex near the consulate on a project to supply missiles from Libyan armories to Syrian rebels. I, didn't, I know it's guns, but I, I didn't see missiles. Okay, thank you, British press. Sources said that more Americans were hurt in the assault spearheaded by suspected Islamic radicals, in other words, their army, <laughs> you know, a private army, uh, than had been previously reported. CIA chiefs were actively working to ensure the real nature of its operation in the city did not get out. Oh, too late. So only the losses suffered by the State Department in the city have been reported to be oh, lies, plausible deniability, okay, cover-up. Quote from CNN, since January, some CIA operatives involved in the agency's missions in Libya have been subjected to frequent, even monthly polygraph examinations, according to a source with deep inside knowledge of the agency's workings. So why would they do that? Hasn't said yet. My suspicion is to keep them quiet. In other words, did you report the truth? Did you tell people what we did there? Oh, no, we didn't. Okay, fine. You pass. <laughs> yeah, keep going. If they said, no, we didn't, and they're lying, <laughs> you can't report that. <laughs> so you know what happens then, right? So they get, they get canned or arrested or who knows. Anyway, Frank Wolf, back to the article. A U.S. congressman who represents the district that contains CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, is one of 150 members of Congress for a new investigation uh, into failures in Benghazi. He says, I think it is a form of cover-up. <laughs> Good observation, Captain Obvious. And I think it's an attempt to push it under the rug. And I think the American people are feeling the same way. Hmm. Man's brilliant, right? He says, we should have the people who were on the scene come in, testify under oath, do it publicly, and lay it out. Of course, they're going to lie. And there really isn't any national security issue involved with regards to that. CIA spokesman, back on the said spokesman and not person, said it has been open about its activities in Benghazi. <laughs> no, they haven't. <laughs> 
Last quote, CIA has worked closely with its oversight committees to provide them, this is the lie, here's the whitewash, right? The CIA has worked closely with its oversight committees to provide them with an extraordinary amount of information related to the attack on U.S. facilities in Benghazi. Facilities? In other words, facilitating guns and missiles? And that's from the CIA. CIA employees are always free to speak to Congress if they want. Oh, right. You're asking me to believe that a, a super secret agency that spies on other countries says that their own people can, are free to, uh, to speak to Congress anytime they want? Oh, please. Here's another quote. The CIA enabled all officers involved in Benghazi the opportunity to meet with Congress. We are not aware of any CIA employee who has experienced retaliation, including any non-routine security procedures, like all the lie detector tests, or who has been prevented from sharing a concern with Congress about the Benghazi incident. No kidding. Well, first of all, you're calling it an incident when we know it's not. All right, so uh, i got another thing here. CIA is running guns. Uh, we got to, to, to. It was about gun running. Okay, let me take another break here. I'm, I'm tired of talking. <laughs> and I don't have uh, live chat. Let's see who's on live chat. Nope. Sign 77. Nobody's calling in. 215-383-3832. My microphone is on, which is good. I haven't wasted my time here. So let me see. Let me play something for you that I think uh, I haven't played one of these for a long time. So a while back, I had a sponsor, Santa Rosa Volunteers, and they were sponsoring the show. Uh, they were wonderful people. And then they, and I was, with, with that, I was able to devote time to creating uh, Federalist Papers and Anti-Federalist uh, Papers uh, commentary. One of the ones I did was on the Sedition Act. And the reason that's so important is because sedition is what the government uh, uses. It says you're speaking against the government, sedition. You know, it's one step below treason. So they have these things called sedition, and that's what, they, that's what they make up, in other words, to tell folks, you know, to, baby, to, to control people. So the Sedition Acts were, were back early in our founding, and it was really fascinating that uh, after proclaiming liberty uh, so quickly, we went to sedition, which is anti-liberty, which is you can't speak out against the government. Well, that's pretty much what's happening now. <laughs> okay, so they, they've suppressed Benghazi in the news. We're not hearing about that, even though we know that's tied directly to Syria. All right. And so all these things are being suppressed. COVID stuff is being suppressed. Everything's being suppressed by the government. They even have uh, the government disinformation, you know, bureau and uh, news guard. <laughs> Look at these other things. We'll talk about this Monday. Anyway, I haven't played these for a while. So let me see if I can find you uh, one on the Sedition Act. This will take a few minutes, but I'm going to play this now. Come back uh, with some totally different news stories, or I'm just going to shut the show down. I haven't decided. You know, it's, it's Friday. I've had enough, <laughs> but I want to make sure you get the news. So I'll play this for you from a previous sponsor, but it's worth playing again. Back in a bit. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, SRV. 1776.com. That's SRV1776.com. This week, I want to break from the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers to consider one of the many aberrations in the early days of the land of the free. That is the Sedition Act of 1798. Granted, this is always grouped with the companion bills on aliens, but I see them as separate issues. Why would a new government formed from colonies under rules of sedition from a foreign monarch bring about that same tyranny into our government so early in its existence. The Constitution was ratified on September 17, 1787. The Bill of Rights was ratified on December 15, 1791. 
So it was already in the supreme law of the land that Congress could make no law that abridged the freedom of speech, thus making any subordinate law on sedition unconstitutional automatically. And yet, it happened. All power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Therefore, if you have a government of good laws and yet bad officials who crave the preservation of power more than the alleged guarantees of freedom, freedom takes second place. You can see that in evidence throughout the entire government response to a coronavirus that would have run its course naturally in about 10 weeks, just like the flu every year, and would have been gone by the summer of 2020 when all viruses fade until the winter. And yet, look at the massive amount of power taken from the people in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Sedition is defined in my online dictionary as conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. So what did the government put into a law that so obviously came from the former ruler of the colonies into the new government of the United States? The Sedition Act is titled An Act for the Punishment of Certain Crimes Against the United States. In other words, conduct or speech that criticizes the government. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Section 1 of the Sedition Act reads, Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled, that if any persons shall unlawfully combine or conspire together with intent to oppose any measure or measures of the government of the United States, which are or shall be directed by proper authority, or to impede the operation of any law of the United States, or to intimidate or prevent any person holding a place or office in or under the government of the United States from undertaking, performing, or executing his trust or duty, and if any person or persons with intent as aforesaid shall counsel, advise, or attempt to procure any insurrection, riot, unlawful assembly, or combination, whether such conspiracy, threatening, counsel, advice, or attempt shall have, been, shall have the proposed effect or not, he or they shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor. This, of course, violates the entire First Amendment, except with regard to religion. It gets worse. Section 2 <laughs> says in part, And be it further enacted, that if any person shall write, print, utter, or publish, or shall cause or procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, or shall knowingly and willingly assist or aid in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, and malicious writing or writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or of the President of the United States, with intent to defame the said government, or either House of the said Congress, or the said President, or to bring them, or either of them, into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them, or either, or any of them, the hatred of the good people of the United States. Hmm. In other words, saying anything against the government of the United States, or anyone in it, is a crime punishable by jail and fines. This effectively creates political prisoners in the United States, much like the innocent people in the D.C. Gulag jail for being in the Capitol building January 6th. If that were not bad enough, within the Sedition Act is probably the most dangerous provision to individual liberty that I have yet seen in the founding documents, 
and provides a shocking precursor to the future neutralization of our jury system and the supremacy of the government courts over the people. Section 3. And be it further enacted and declared that if any person shall be prosecuted under this act for the writing or publishing any libel aforesaid, it shall be lawful for the defendant upon the trial of the cause to give an evidence in his defense, the truth of the matter contained in publication charged as a libel, and the jury who shall try the cause shall have a right to determine the law and the facts under the direction of the court, as in other cases. The key words here are under the direction of the court. The whole point of a jury is to not only determine the guilt of the defendant, the restitution in a civil case, but most important for the jury is to determine whether the laws implied are fair, just, constitutional, and are not arbitrary and capricious reservoirs of unlimited government power over the people. Jurors can do whatever they want because they are the representatives of the people over the judges who work for the government and therefore work for the people. And yet, as virtually every judge instructs their juries that they can only judge the facts of the case and not the law. That lie is repeated every day in courts all across the country. And now I see where it came from. Section 3 is really saying that the juries, and therefore the people, are under the direction of the court. What the Sedition Act really does is makes criticism of the government a crime and allows government judges to direct the juries that would hear any case under this act, thus destroying the right of free speech and to redress grievances against the government and to due process and the right to a jury trial of one's peers. One could imagine anyone charged under this act would be guilty until proven innocent and then ruined by government if they were proved innocent. Can you think of any parallels to the rights of free speech today? The Sedition Act was approved July 14, 1798, signed by John Adams, President of the United States. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. There we go. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, a shameless plug for a previous sponsor. That's okay. Hey, guys, come on back. I'll make more of those. You know, it'd be, uh, be nice to have the sponsorship back in. And that goes for any uh, local company, uh, regional company, uh, national company, uh, huge foundation like Heritage, uh, any of the folks that uh, advocate freedom that actually don't do it. <laughs> you know, uh, we do. And so we have a bunch of bills. In fact, I want to write, I think the next one I want to write um, is on uh, electric car uh, tax. And it was started by, by a friend of mine of the show and a friend of mine, uh, Amber Kemper, who was our constitution reporter for a while, uh, who got busy with college. And so I want to get her back uh, at some point, but I want to work with her on this bill. So I'm going to see if I can outline something, see what her views on it are, because it was her idea first. And I'm kind of big on that. <laughs> you know, if you have the idea first, uh, you get credit for it. So we'll put her name on the bill. Um, but I want to include some sections on, uh, um, like Florida, for example. I don't know if we're going to make it a state bill or, or a national bill. It might be a state bill. And the idea would be to, uh, uh, to tax whatever the federal subsidy is. So if the, if the feds are giving a $7,500 
um, subsidy to uh, to electric cars, then Florida should have a seventy five hundred dollar tax to take that subsidy away from the federal government. So okay, you can buy an electric car, you know, but it's gonna it, you're not gonna make any money on it uh, from the from the taxpayer. So and that and that should be that'd be the ultimate, and then return that money to Florida taxpayers. <laughs> so, okay, fine. So the government's giving all these reimbursements, but we're not going to uh, uh, allow that in Florida. We're gonna take we're gonna tax the subsidy and then give that that money back to uh, you know Floridians. <laughs> that to me would be fun. All right. But the other thing we need to do. You know, thinking about this too, is that that sticker on the side uh, of a car that has the fuel efficiency and things like that, you should also have the electric efficiency. So in other words, how much of the electricity that goes to a typical electric car in any given region um, comes from organic fuels, in other words, oil, coal, natural gas. I don't see fossil fuels anymore. They're not fossils. They're not. Didn't you guys watch Jurassic Park? You think those things come from the bones, you know, in Jurassic Park? To, you think your 747 is powered by, uh, by, by bones? No, it's not. <laughs> It's powered by, by petroleum, which becomes uh, jet fuel. Anyway, and there's lots of it. I mean, there's lots of it. So it's, it's not from dinosaurs. Well, I mean, I'm sure some dinosaurs, but mostly it's an organic algae, mud, sludge stuff that becomes petroleum. Anyway, point being that there's lots of it. So, so electric cars need to have a sticker saying how much of their, uh, of their power is going to come from uh, organic fuels. Another thing that would be nice is those remote those charging stations, they should all, if they're going to be called green charging stations, what they should, uh, uh, what they should do is um, have them all powered by solar or wind. So have a little windmill, <laughs> a little solar panel on your electric car, you know, pump, <laughs> you know, and that's what should power it. If it's going to be green, then it should be powered by solar and wind. So unless there's enough juice uh, coming from the sun and from the wind to power your uh, charger out there in public, um, then uh, it shouldn't exist. <laughs> okay. The other thing is we need a, a hazardous materials tax on the electric cars of about $25,000. So every electric car should come with a hazardous materials uh, fee, disposal fee for the battery. So I think about 25 grand seems about right. Uh, you know, Congress can argue or change it or, you know, the Florida legislature can do that. But I'm going to have a massive uh, upfront fee. So the whole point of this is that electric cars should not be subsidized and uh, organically fueled cars should not be penalized simply because the wacko government wants to put everything under one power source, the, the mono power. Okay? If everything's under mono power, then the government can ration it. You know, if, you, if your car, your house, your business, uh, everything that you do uh, is powered by electricity and the government uh, has smart meters that can turn off or turn down your electricity, they control your energy. If they control your energy, they control your life just like controlling your health care. So you can't have the government control your health care. You can't have the government control education. And you can't have the government control your energy. I mean, those are just the basics. And I'll be working towards that. So if anybody has any ideas for an electric car bill, this would be going for, for cyanide in the, uh, in the Netherlands, you know, cyanide 77. If you have any ideas for my, my car tax, because I'm sure you guys over in the Netherlands are flooded with electric cars. Uh, and then the folks have the farmers. You know, with the farmers, they, uh, they say that um, the farmers have to give up nitrogen fertilizer because it's polluting, even though nitrogen is 72% of the atmosphere. <clears throat> a little strange, but that's what they say. All right, let me get to an article here. This is something I found. This is from 2013. Now, a lot of times I'll quote older articles because something happened in 2019 with COVID. It's like all the information changed. It all got censored. A lot of stuff got stripped out. But every once in a while I find something, you know, because there's still stuff, because there's so much stuff out there that uh, I like to report the sources that I find interesting. So the latest consideration of COVID is that we're talking about it being a, a binary bioweapon. Why do I say binary? Binary is where two things combine that are otherwise, you know, pretty inert or, or harmless into something that's deadly or something else that totally changes its form, like epoxy. 
epoxy is where you have like the priming compound and the activating compound or whatever they call it. Anyway, you mix these two things together. You have one tube of one, you have one tube of another, you put them together and then you better seal what you're doing fast because they're going to set and, and form like concrete. <laughs> okay. But together, the, 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 but if you just put the, the tubes of stuff out separately, not much is going to happen. They're just going to kind of sit there and you know, do whatever epoxy chemicals do. Same thing with a gas. Uh, if you have uh, uh, one gas that's eh, it's not too dangerous by itself. Another gas not too dangerous by itself. You put them together, they're deadly. Uh, in other words, the, the, the gas, uh, I guess, given off by bleach and given off by chlorine. I think bleach is a base and chlorine is an acid or the other way around. Whatever it is, you don't mix. Um, no, it's bleach and ammonia. You don't mix those two. So bleach, I think, is the base. Ammonia, I think, is the acid. Whatever it is, they're polar opposites in terms of pH, in other words, acid and base. And when you put them together, they form a, a deadly gas. You know, I think it's called mustard gas from World War I. So don't mix bleach with ammonia. That's why you don't mix bleach with ammonia. This is why you keep your, your chemicals cleansers separate. Because you put them together, they're lethal. Well, they can be. So back to the article. So I found this article, March 10th of 2013, Applied Sciences Winter 2013. This is the Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science. So we're talking about a liberal university, okay? You know, probably funded by, yeah, funded by Dr. Fascist. You know, uh, yeah, Dr. Fauci, yeah, he's retired now, so you don't hear from him too much. But uh, he's out there. He's probably not wearing a mask. He's probably uh, going to be sitting on a, uh, some Caribbean island somewhere where he can't be extradited, so he's, a, he's not going to have to face charges for killing multi-millions of people. Yeah, that's Dr. Fascist. Anyway, I'm, I'm having fun with that. <laughs> so back to uh, – so, so I found this journal. So again, the binary bioweapon. So the binary bioweapon that is affecting millions of people and killing them uh, and injuring and crippling them uh, is taking the, quote, vaccine that is not a vaccine. It's a genetic modification that makes your body make poison spike proteins. And the virus, the COVID virus, which makes you sick, okay? I mean, we all got, everybody's been exposed to it. Most of us got sick from it a little bit. I had a bad cough, and I was feeling kind of bad for a couple of weeks because I tried to work through it. So it was really about five days. So two days of rest and three days of recovery, and I was fine. So it affected me for about five days. Yeah, just like a really bad cold, maybe like a moderate flu bug. No big deal. Um, show sounded a little funny. <laughs> you know, I was coughing a lot when I was trying to maintain rather than take some. So I took a few days off and I was fine. So that was my experience with COVID. I have no experience with the vaccine because I consider it dangerous and deadly. So I would never put that stuff into my body, especially since I already having COVID, I was immune and I knew it. So there we go. Um, anyway, so back to this, but the idea of a bioweapon. So the two, the two components of the current bioweapon, the binary bioweapon is the vaccine and the virus. I believe they're engineered together. I believe they were released shortly, uh, you know, the, the virus first and the vaccine. I believe they had the vaccine probably in 2010 or 2015. They just released it late for, so they get all their lockdowns in place. I believe this is all planned out ahead of time. I believe they executed it the way they want, and they had ruling accomplices in, you know, you had Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis at the federal level. You had the dictatorial governors at the state level. You had the, the mayors and city councils and county commissions at the local level, and they all conspired to take away your rights, and they accepted that, and the people accepted having the rights taken. That is the scariest thing that I've ever seen in this country. That was unbelievably bad. But back to the bioweapon. So we got this bioweapon, this binary bioweapon, combining a vaccine with a virus. It's not even a vaccine. And it's a man-made virus. So here's what the article says. Genome sequencing has given rise to a new generation of genetically engineered bioweapons carrying the potential to change the nature of modern warfare and defense. Well, also change the nature of politics and, and the Constitution, too. <laughs> okay. Introduction. But this is back to the article, March 10th, 2013, Applied Sciences, Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science. It says, 
biological weapons are designed to spread disease among people, plants, and animals through the introduction of toxins and microorganisms such as viruses and bacteria. Yep, sounds good so far. The method through which the biological weapon is deployed depends on the agent itself, its preparation, its durability, and the route of infection. And infection, excuse me. Attackers may disperse these agents through aerosols or food and water supplies. Yeah, they also, also might do it through vaccines, too. <laughs> In fact, that's the most likely way to do it. So aerosols. So an aerosol is, is, like, a, uh, is like very, very tiny droplets that are suspended in the air. Droplets that are so tiny, like a sneeze. <laughs> that's an aerosol. Okay? Uh, a sneeze, you don't sneeze out big droplets that fall to the floor in front of you. Well, maybe you do, but that's, I'm not going to go into that. It's still breakfast time. Um, but uh, that's what an aerosol is. So a sneeze can go 200 feet. You know, sneezes go a long way. They, they come out, or they're maybe not that long, but they, can, they, they come out about 200 miles an hour. A sneeze just booms out of your body, okay? And it creates an aerosol, and that aerosol travels. And those masks, you know, don't stop aerosol particles because the particles are far smaller than the space in the mask. In other words, the mosquito through the garage door theory. Uh, that's, I, I had a garage door. Everyone else says, you know, chain fence. Nah. I prefer my analogy. It's a lot better. But anyway, what they're talking about here is dispersing viruses. Uh, and how do they do it? Uh, microorganisms, uh, micro, viruses and bacteria. Yep. Yeah, so that's the bioweapon. So the, they just said here that viruses are a viable bioweapon. Right here in 19, uh, 2013, they said it right there. Okay. Uh, they may use agents with aerosols, which is in the air, uh, food or water, very possibly. Then it says, although bioweapons haven't been used in war for many centuries, a recent surge in genetic understanding, as well as rapid growth in com- computational power, has, in other words, creating the messenger RNA uh, gene therapy, known as a vaccine, back to the article, has allowed genetic engineering to play a larger role in the development of new bioweapons. Hmm. This is like the blueprint for everything that happened with COVID. This is why I find this article so fascinating. It says, in the bioweapon industry, genetic engineering can be used to manipulate genes to create new pathogenic characteristics that would be known as gain of function, okay, aimed at, back to the article, aimed at enhancing the, the efficacy of a weapon through increased survivability, uh, infective, infectivity, virulence, and drug resistance. That all there, this is the definition of gain of function. Genetic engineering can be used to manipulate genes to create new pathogenic characteristics aimed at enhancing the efficacy of the weapon through increased survivability, infectivity, virulence, and drug resistance. That is gain of function by definition, right? It says, while the positive social implications of improved biotechnology are apparent, the black biology, who in quotation marks, of bioweapon development, in other words, black means off budget. We're not talking about black people here. Black means it's secret. It's off budget. Uh, it's a hidden program, much like the NIH, you know, funding Wuhan illegally. This is the blueprint for COVID. It was in 2013. I mean, it's fascinating. 2015, we also had the thing from Dr. Fascist that he knew all about hydroxychloroquine that was, uh, you know, cured viral infections. Surprise, surprise. Why do you think he demonized it? So he could sell vaccines. Everything fits. It's just one big puzzle, right? Then it says, while the, positive, while the positive societal implications of improved biotechnology are apparent, the black biology of bioweapon development may be one of the gravest threats we will face. How did they know in 2013 that COVID was going to hit six years later? Well, because they planned it. Well, here's the blueprint. Here's the college. Very likely, I would suspect that the University of Dartmouth what do they call themselves? The uh, Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science was probably funded by the NIH. Betcha they got a grant. Betcha, betcha, betcha. 
Limitations on limits on past bioweapons. Prior to the recent advances in genetic... Oh, I think I just read that. Oh, no, I didn't read that. Okay, here we go. Limits of past bioweapons. Prior to recent advances in genetic engineering, bioweapons were exclusively natural pathogens. In other words, they occurred naturally. They weren't engineered, right? Agents must fulfill numerous prerequisites to be considered effective military bioweapons, and most naturally occurring pathogens are ill-suited for that purpose. So in other words, the things that occur naturally, you know, flu bugs, viruses, colds, things like that, then they're not good bioweapons because they can't control them enough. They're not strong enough. We have immunity to them. So they have to make stuff that we don't have immunity to that nobody has ever seen before. Gain of function from already existing viruses. Bioweapon. You know how this works, right? Uh, this is a great article. Uh, it says agents must be functioned. Okay, and most naturally occurring pathogens won't do it. Okay, next. Bioweapons must be produced in large quantities. Yep, that would be COVID. Uh, a pathogen can be obtained from a natural environment if enough can be collected to allow purification and testing of its properties. Okay, yeah, they, they made plenty of it. Otherwise, pathogens could be produced in a microbiology laboratory or bank, uh, a process which is limited to pathogen accessibility and the safety with which the pathogens can be handled in facilities. Facilities like Wuhan, like North Carolina, like Eco Alliance under Ralph Barrick, I got to do more research on him. All these things are coming to mind. Like I said, this is like a, blue, blue, blah, 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 a blueprint for COVID. Then it says, to replicate viruses and some bacteria, living cells are required. So they have to start with something. The growth of large quantities of an agent can be limited by, by equipment, space, and health risks associated with the handling of hazardous germs. In addition to large-scale production, effective bioweapons must act quickly, be environmentally robust, in other words, the environment, the sun won't destroy them, right? And their effects must be treatable for those who are implementing the bioweapon. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. For a long time, I had, um, I said during the whole COVID thing that Fauci and all the other health uh, folks, the health Nazis, Dr. Fascists and the health Nazis, were taking hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Why? Because they never got sick with COVID. Oh, they said they had COVID. And they said they took the, the jab. I, I, I don't think they took the jab. And I don't think they got COVID. I think they took hydroxychloroquine. So does Dr. Stella Emanuel of America's Frontline Doctors. Uh, she's the woman from Cameroon. Trained in Nigeria, came to the U.S. as a doctor. All right, she said the same thing. She says, give me uh, you know, blood or urine from Fauci, and I'll, I'll tell you how much hydroxychloroquine is in his system. I believe her. So listen to this again. To replicate viruses and some bacteria, living cells are required. So they had to start with something, right? So they take a coronavirus, which basically is a cold or a flu bug, and they made it special. They enhanced it. Then it says the growth of large quantities of an agent can be limited by equipment, space, and the health risks associated with the handling of the germs. In other words, the North Carolina lab, U.S. law, and, very, and funding basically said you can only go so far. Obama administration said you can only go so far. Dr. Fascist takes it over to Wuhan, China, which says, yeah, bring it in. You're good. <laughs> we don't care. Then it says, in addition to large-scale production, effective bioweapons must act quickly. Well, COVID, they said, you know, in pretty much a couple of days, you're, you're sick. Be environmentally robust. Yep, hangs around the environment for a while. And their effects must be treatable for those who are implementing the bioweapons. So in other words, the reason that Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis and all the folks associated with this, you know, the, the heads of Pfizer, the heads of Moderna, you know, none of these people seem to have gotten sick with COVID. They certainly haven't died. Why? Because they all had treatments. They all knew the treatment in advance. And by denying those treatments that they took to millions of people around the world, 7 million people died. That is a crime against humanity. That is a genocide. That is the definition of genocide. Knowing the cure taking the cure, 
giving the thing out there anyway, giving a, a vaccine that doesn't work, making billions upon billions upon billions of dollars off the vaccine, getting incredible amounts of power, all the while knowing that it doesn't work, taking your treatments that do work, denying the treatments that do work to the people, and then sitting back and taking all the money, retiring and going off to your Caribbean island. That is a crime against humanity. Section three, recent advances. As researchers continue to transition from the era of DNA sequencing into the era of DNA synthesis, in other words, making RNA vaccines, right? It may soon become feasible to synthesize any virus whose DNA sequence is known. Oh, isn't that interesting? So once you, so, so, or, or created, this is, this was first demonstrated in 2001 when Dr. Eckhard Wimmer, W-I-M-M-E-R, recreated the polio virus. And again, in 2005, when Dr. Jeffrey Tan, Ta- uh, Taubenberger, I've heard that name before. Was it John Cullen told us about that or Judy Mikovits? Dr. Jeffrey Taubenberger and Terrence Tumpy. Re- oh, here we go. This is John Cullen. Recreated the 1918 influenza virus. Uh, in fact, John Cullen was on the show. He said, look, this, this, yeah, Taubenberger, that's, I remember it now. John Cullen said they recreated the 1918 influenza virus, the most dangerous virus ever to hit humanity, the 1918 Spanish flu. They recreated it, and he says they went up to Alaska. They took the DNA from, from people frozen in the tundra, who, and they took the frozen DNA of the Spanish flu and recreated it in the lab. Oh, boy. Hmm. According to biological warfare expert Dr. Stephen Block, genetically engineered pathogens, quote, could be made safer to handle, easier to distribute, capable of ethnic specificity, in other words, killing black people, or be made to cause higher mortality rates. Mm-hmm. Knock off the older folks. Then it says the growing accessibility. I got to send this article to everybody. I didn't actually, I only read the first part of it. I got to report on this on the show. This is so good. And this is 2013. This is the blueprint. Since the growing accessibility of DNA synthesis capabilities, computational power and information means that a growing number of people will have the capacity to produce bioweapons. Scientists have been able to transform the four letters of DNA. Uh, that would be A, adenine, C, cytosine, G, guanine, and T, thymine, into the ones and zeros of the binary code. This is what Robert Malone did. Robert Malone took those four chemicals, the components of DNA, the amino acids, adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine, and put a binary computer program to him and created the messenger RNA vaccine. That's how he did it. Oh, there's Pianchi. Now he calls it. <laughs> Let me finish this paragraph. Into the ones and zeros of the binary code. The trans- this transformation makes genetic engineering a matter of electronic manipulation, which decreases the cost of the technique, according to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Oh, she's involved in this? Oh, now it's getting really interesting. The emerging gene synthesis industry is making genetic material more widely available. A crude but effective terrorist weapon can be made using a small sample of any number of widely available pathogens, inexpensive equipment, and college-level chemistry and biology. Oh, boy. Is Clinton, is Hillary Clinton somehow behind the COVID binary bioweapon? Pianchi, I think I've struck a nerve. What do you think? I think I'm onto something here. Yeah, especially the mention of ethnic specificity. Isn't that interesting? Or as I called it, killing black make people. Sure you send me a, <clears throat> make sure you message me that article. 
Oh, I'm going to post it. I'll, I'll post it. I have a, I'll post a couple of different places. Special investigations. Uh, we do have the private vaccine group. That's membership only because I don't want people sabotaging it. But yeah, well, I can tell you right now where to find it. You can look it up. Dartmouth Underground. Start again, Greg. Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science, Genetically Engineered Bioweapons, uh, March 10th, 2013. Well, see, that's not the first time I've heard that uh, phrase before. Which phrase? And I remember ethnic, the meaning and the oh. application of an ethnic specific passage. <laughs> Specificity? Yeah, I know what you mean. I have trouble with words, too. Uh and this was back in like 1970 something, and I was at a, I was either at Mallinckrodt Chemical or in Monsanto, mm-hmm. and we was in the elevator coming down, and on the way down, they stopped and picked up some white coats, and we got to talking, and they said that we have we have uh, material that we can drop a drop here in this elevator. And it would kill only certain people. That's being specific to the ethnicity. So yes, these things have been uh, created and probably even tested for quite some time. Well, the Chinese, the Chinese do that. In fact, the Chinese want to be able to kill the white people and the black people. You know, keep the Asians around. <laughs> you know, who knows what they're going to do with uh, the indigenous peoples of the world. But, yeah, I mean, that's why they get all the ancestry information and everything else. That's why you don't go to Ancestry.com because that information ends up with China and ends up with the government. Our own government does crazy things. But think about this. So this is, this is the connection that I haven't made before. So I didn't know how you got from the components of DNA. Let me go see if I can back and find them again. Adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine. So that's A-C-G-T. Those are the components of DNA. And how you made a messenger RNA um, vaccine bioweapon on a computer. So what they actually did was they, they used computers. They decoded. They, they assigned a binary code to the components of DNA, so by using a computer, they could make a new binary code for a new kind of DNA, and when you combine those chemicals together, the computer actually makes it. This is part I don't know yet. So the computer actually synthesizes the, the chemicals in the correct sequence genetically to create their bioweapon because they've, they've taken DNA and put it into a binary code on a computer. And then, so, it's a, so creating life is just a matter of creating the right software. So when the guy from uh, Moderna said we have hacked the software of life in 2017 when he gave that TED Talk, this is exactly what he's talking about. Taking DNA, living material, living chemicals, uh, amino acids, turning it into a computer code, manipulating the computer code, and then turning it back into DNA. Wild, huh? Yeah, and it's it's, it's for real, too. People have little deviant minds. I don't know what to tell you about them. They're going to exist, always have. And we'll continue. Well, I don't know. I don't know what Hillary Clinton's doing with this. How come Hillary well, Clinton's Hillary name came Clinton, up? Hillary Clinton is involved in You got more and more people associated with her dying, even still today, yeah. from something Dana as ludicrous as air turbulence. Yeah, last week, Dana, we did, a, we did a show on this. Dana Hyde is on a business jet with her husband and her son and two other people, and she's the one that dies while strapped into a seat. Oh please, <laughs> you know that that's that's not even remotely plausible. But people don't care because you know they're not going to investigate it because uh, they don't want to be the next ones killed. Even though we're talking about it here. Ultimately, get down. Mm-hmm. It gets down to the the uh, age old phrase: "What the hell are you going to do about it?" 
Mm, it is an age-old phrase. It's, actually, it's true. Well, you know what I'm going to do about it? I've created Action Radio, and we're going to go after him. Okay, here we go. Um, let me check in with Cyanide77, who's in the Netherlands right now. Uh, okay, he talks about a different theory that oil renews itself. Okay, that's uh, abiotic uh, theory of oil as opposed to the biotic theory of oil. We covered that. There are some that believe that the Earth makes it, and my friend Gregory Wrightstone, who's a climate geologist, says no. It, it's actually biotic. Uh, as it is a lubricant of the earth. Okay. Electric cars are mostly lease cars by business drivers. So electric cars in the Netherlands are business. And then we've got, uh, okay, fine. Let me, I want to finish this article. So Pianchi, hang with me. We've only got about 10 minutes left. I, I actually was going to quit. Every time I think about quitting the show early, I discover something and keep going. So let's continue on here. This is the article from, once again, uh, Genetically Engineered Bioweapons, A New Breed of Weapons for Modern Warfare, March 10th, 2013. So this is before Moderna really got going. Well, this got going in 2010. Uh, so this is why we know it's a pandemic. In other words, COVID was all planned. Here's the basis of the bioweapon, Dartmouth Undergraduate Journal of Science. Then says, in the next section, techniques to enhance efficacy of bioweapons. In other words, gain of function. It's a scientists and genetic engineers are considering several techniques to increase the efficacy of pathogens in warfare. In other words, make it more deadly, right? One, binary biological weapons. You know how I've been calling it a binary weapon for the last couple of weeks? The, the vaccine and the virus are a binary weapon. They combine together. Look at it right here, number one, binary biological weapons. This technique involves inserting plasmids, small bacterial DNA fragments, into the DNA of other bacteria in order to increase virulence or other pathogenic properties within the host bacteria. Gain of function, right? Two, designer genes. According to the European Bioinformatics, as of December 2012, scientists had sequenced the genomes of 3,139 viruses 1,016 plasmids, and 2,167 bacteria. <laughs> we got a lot of pandemics on the way, Pianchi. <laughs> Some of which are published on the internet and are therefore accessible to the public. Well, that's interesting. With complete genomes available and the aforementioned advances in gene synthesis, scientists will soon be able to design pathogens by creating synthetic genes, synthetic viruses, and possibly entirely new organisms. COVID. <laughs> There's COVID right there. Let me go on. Gene therapy. Number three, gene therapy involves repairing or replacing a gene of an organism, permanently changing its genetic composition. Uh, that's what uh, the spike proteins do. That's what messenger RNA does. So, so here's, your, here's your messenger RNA, taking RNA messages to create entirely new DNA to create new cells. Gene therapy number three, gene therapy involves repairing or replacing a gene of an organism permanently changing its genetic composition. By replacing existing genes with harmful genes, this technique can be used to manufacture bioweapons. Oh, this one's interesting. Stealth viruses. <laughs> number four. I'll get through number seven, then we'll take a break, and then I've got another section here. Stealth viruses. Stealth viruses are viral infections that enter cells and remain dormant for an extended amount of time until triggered externally to cause disease. That would be the virus, that would be the, the COVID virus, and the vaccines to trigger. This is where I think, and Alex Jones reported this a few years ago. This is what I think he was talking about, although we didn't know at the time. So the stealth virus is COVID. The trigger is the vaccine. So the COVID gets into your system. They infect everybody with COVID, and then they release the vaccine, and everybody starts dying. <laughs> okay, but you, the two parts of the binary weapon are the COVID virus, which by itself we get over and we get immunity to. Okay, so that's not a big deal. For most people, uh, uh, the vaccine is a big deal because it's going to kill people if they only get the vaccine. But if you get the vaccine and get COVID, they combine in a binary fashion, then they're really deadly. And we know that by all the people and all the problems that are that uh, people are dying suddenly. You know, 25 year olds are dropping dead on sports fields. Oh, please. 
Stealth viruses, again, stealth viruses are viral infections that can enter cells and remain dormant for an extended amount of time until triggered externally to cause disease. In the context of warfare, these viruses could be spread to a large population and activation could either be delayed or used as a threat for blackmail. Well, they delayed until they released the, uh, the, the, the quote vaccine. Now we know how they did it. Here's one. Host swapping diseases, much like the naturally occurring West Nile and Ebola viruses. Those are the bad ones. Okay. Animal viruses could potentially be genetically modified and developed to infect humans as a potential biowarfare tactic. Remember the pangolin at the, at the Wuhan wet market or the bats? It came from a bat. Well, it may have come from a bat, but it's certainly genetically engineered. Two more. Designer diseases. Biotechnology may be used to manipulate cellular mechanisms to cause disease. Yeah, that'd be COVID. For example, an agent could be designed to induce cells to multiply uncontrollably. That would be spike proteins. As in a cancer. Yep, that happens too. Or to initiate apoptosis, A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S, programmed cell death. In other words, premature death. And the last one personalized bioweapons. This might be of concern for Pianchi. In coming years, it may be conceivable to design a pathogen that targets a specific person's genome. Oh, it's an assassination weapon. This agent may spread through populations showing minimal to no or no symptoms, yet it would be fatal to the intended target. Pianchi? That's why they come with those uh, 24 and me stuff. Well, see, the thing is with this is that they forget one thing. What well, one scientist, you may have a white scientist that, that knows this, but a black scientist or a yellow scientist can know it also. Once the breakthrough has been made, it's made, and anybody no. can use it of that particular knowledgeable field. So you may have a black scientist that get a hold uh-huh. of that and alter it to kill all whites, or a yellow scientist alter it to kill all black and whites. You know, I've never liked the, the expression yellow for, for a person because it's not even applicable. Of course, black isn't that applicable or white isn't either. I don't know. It just seems derogatory to me, but uh, feel free. I don't care. I'll call them Asian. Um, yeah. And, and well, you've so you got black Asians too, sweetie. <laughs> well, you got black at. Asians. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And so where are the indigenous peoples? You know, like uh, American Indians, Australian Aborigines, uh, South American uh, Native folks. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's really interesting to see how this goes. All right. So here's the next section, biodefense. We're almost done with it and we're almost done with the show. So this is working out really well. In addition to creating bioweapons, the emerging tools of genetic knowledge and biological technology may be used as a means of defense against these weapons. Well, that's interesting. Or they've been used as the weapons themselves. Here we go. Human genome literacy. As scientific research continues to reveal the functions of, gen- of specific genes and how genetic com- components affect disease in humans, vaccines and drugs. Oh, here we go. Wait a minute. <laughs> vaccines and drugs can be designed to combat particular pathogens based on analysis of their particular molecular effect on the human cell. Well, if they can be designed to combat particular pathogens, can they also be designed to be particular pathogens and work with the pathogens as a binary bioweapon. In other words, my contention is that the vaccines are working with the COVID vaccines are working with COVID to create a combined binary effect. That's far more deadly with both of them than it would be. Either either would be just on their own. What do you think? Yeah. You know, viruses are living organisms and they have allies too. Here's another one. 
Number two, immune system enhancement. In addition to enabling more effective drug development, human genome literacy allows for a better understanding of the immune system. Thus, genetic engineering can be used to enhance human immune response to, patho- to pathogens. Or, of course, it can make it worse, right? Anything you can improve, you can, you can take down. This is, as an example, uh, where's my one-minute warning? We're going to go with just a little bit of overtime today. Dr. Ken Alibek, A-L-I-B-E-K, is conducting cellular, cellular research in pursuit of protection against the bioweapon anthrax. Well, remember the great anthrax uh, vaccine, um, squalene and the, uh, uh, the Gulf War syndrome? Remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Funny how these things keep popping up again. Number three, viral and bacterial genome literacy. Decoding the genomes of viruses and bacteria will lead to molecular explanations behind virulence and drug resistance. With this information, bacteria can be engineered to produce bioregulators against pathogens. For example, Zoma Corporation, X-O-M-A, has patented a bacterial, uh, a bac- hang on, bactericidal permeability increasing protein. Uh, made from genes inserted into bacterial DNA, which reverses the resistance characteristic of particular bacteria against some popular antibiotics. Okay, so bactericidal permeability. The reason that hydroxychloroquine works against uh, bacteria and against viruses is because it breaks down the protein wall that surrounds the genetic material of the virus. So what this does is, I guess that makes that wall stronger, probably uh, is a defense against hydroxychloroquine. That would make sense. Number four, effective, efficient bioagent detection and identification equipment. This is because the capability of comparing uh, genomes using DNA assays has already been acquired. Such technology may be developed to identify pathogens using information from bacterial and viral genomes. Such a detector uh, could be used to identify the composition of bioweapons based on the genomes, reducing present-day delays in resultant treatment and or preventive measures, or it could make them even worse. Now, I've always contended that you should have COVID detectors on the airplanes uh, rather than masks. This is, I mean, now you should probably don't need either one because COVID's basically done. But back when they made everybody wear masks, they said, no, just put a COVID detector. They had, they had machines that could de- detect COVID in the air at certain concentrations. The mask didn't even work, but at least people might feel better about wearing their mask even though they didn't do anything. Okay, two more and we're done. New vaccines. Current scientific research projects involve projects involve genetic manipulation of viruses to create vaccines that provide immunity against multiple diseases with a single treatment. Money. Money. This is where the money is. Current scientific research, it says, projects in projects involve genetic manipulation of viruses to create vaccines. Genetic manipulation of viruses to create vaccines. Isn't that what that guy talked about? Remember the, the Pfizer guy that uh, um, Project Veritas got? And they said that they're going, to, uh, they're going to change the evolution of viruses so they can create more vaccines. He got fired, and James O'Keefe got fired from uh, Project Veritas. This is what they're talking about. Well, you've got to spread the, mu- spread the music. <laughs> Six, anti- new antibiotics and antiviral drugs. It says currently antibiotic drugs target DNA synthesis, protein synthesis, and cell wall synthesis, that's hydroxychloroquine, processes in bacterial cells. With an increased understanding of microbial genomes, other proteins essential to bacterial viability can be targeted to create new classes of antibiotics. Eventually, broad-spectrum rather than protein-specific antimicrobial drugs may be developed. So that's the good news. 
But they're not, they're not doing the good news. They're doing the bad news. Let's get to the nasty one, future of warfare. See, this is why this all comes. Remember, we, we, we learned recently that this all came from the Department of Defense and the CIA. They're the ones behind COVID and the vaccine. This is what we're learning, right? Well, now it makes sense. This is always a bioweapon program. Now, with this article, you know, it's, it's even more confirmed. Of course, in th- 2013, we didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't even thought of action radio. I didn't think of it that's until how the Ukraine comes into the, That's how the Ukraine comes into the play. Yeah. Well, let's, let, me, let me finish this. Uh, and that's why Russia responded like it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at my interactive now? map. Well, did you see my interactive map? You'd be map right on next Facebook? door to Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Ukraine's on the Russian border. So you've got Moldova to the south, Romania to the south. You've got the Black Sea. You've got Russia to the east. You've got Belarus to the north. You've got, uh, I think, Hungary, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Slovakia to the west of Ukraine, if I remember my map. So, so you create these, these bioweapons there in Ukraine to be used mm-hmm. on Russia right next door. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And Russia found out about it. See, all mm-hmm. news is not coming out of Russia to the West. It's being filtered. That's why Putin told Western journalists that if you print any lies, you're going to be locked up. So they left. <laughs> well, you know, I actually have posts. We have the International News Group on Facebook. So I routinely post articles from Pravda and TASS, which is the Russian news services. Pravda is Russian for truth. TASS is the, the, the Soviet... It's an acronym for, you know, Russian news, Russian government news. And so I post those routinely so people can make up their own mind. I post exactly, he, you know, Putin's free to tell us exactly what he wants to say. And I, I feel free to print it just like I print the Asian press stuff. I print, uh, who else have I got? I got a bunch of, I'm collecting all these international news sources. I've got Indian news. That's India, not uh, American Indian. And I have that too, actually. Uh, I used to have the uh, indigenous new, world indigenous news. And I looked into them. I've got Canadian news sources. I've got Australian sources. I've got Sky News. I've got all kinds of things. As and we grow, time ago, back in the 60s, it was uh, Balboa, B-A-L-B-O-A press. They used to basically print along the same lines, information that you don't get no place else. Yeah. Let me read this last little bit, and then we can close up for the week. Uh, next week's going to be fun. We've got Brandon Straka of uh, Walkaway. He's going to be on with us Tuesday. So I want to see if he'll be interested in, in, in walk two. In other words, walk away from the parties, walk to citizen legislation. We'll see what happens. It's going to be really interesting. Anyway, future warfare. The revolution in molecular biology and biotechnology can be considered as a potential revolution of military affairs. And that's from Colonel Michael uh, Erskoff. Excuse me. MD, MPH. Uh, I guess that's a British. Oh, MD. I'm not sure what MPH is. Anyway. Oh, Master of Public Health. There we go. According to Andrew Krep. Binevich, who originally coined the term RMA, technological advancement incorporation of this new technology into military systems, military operational advancement, and organizational adaptation in a way that fundamentally alters the character and conduct of conflict, which is what's going on now, right, are the four components that make up RMA. Uh, and this stands for Revolution of Military Affairs, RMA. There we go. For instance, the Gulf War has been classified as the beginning of the Space Information Warfare, RMA. From the technological advances in biotechnology, biowarfare with genetically engineered pathogens may constitute a future such RMA. Well, yeah, COVID-19 is the future uh, RMA 
In other words, revolution of military affairs. It's fascinating. In addition, the, component, the exponential increase in computational power, that's computers, combined with the accessibility of genetic information and biological tools to the general public and lack of governmental regulation. <laughs> we say that again. Lack of governmental regulation raised concerns about the threat of biowarfare arising from outside the military. Like, I don't know, Dr. Fascist and the NIH, okay? Uh, the CDC, <laughs> the FDA, <laughs> all conspiring with Big Pharma to uh, mandate a, a substance that's not a vaccine and make billions in profits? Hmm, how about that? Then it says the U.S. government has cited the efforts of terrorist networks such as Al-Qaeda to recruit scientists capable of creating bioweapons as a national security concern and has urged countries to be more open about their efforts to clamp down on the threat of bioweapons. Yeah, again, let's go against the terrorists. Got a problem. Don't have a problem there. But what if the terrorists work for the government? Anyway, last paragraph. Despite these efforts, biological research that can potentially lead to bioweapon development is far more international, far more spread out, and far more diverse than nuclear science. Well, that's interesting. Researchers communicate much more rapidly with one another by means that no government can control. Interesting. This was not true in the nuclear era. era. According to David Kay, former chief U.S. weapons inspector in Iraq, Kay is extraordinarily pessimistic that we, the United States, will take any of the necessary steps to avoid the threat of bioweapons absent their first actual use. And I believe their first actual use is COVID. Then it says, there are those who say the First World War was chemical, the Second World War was nuclear, and that the Third World War, God forbid, will be biological. Wow. Contact Mackenzie Foley at the Mackenzie A. Foley, uh, 16 Dartmouth, EDU. Well, I'm going to see if I can contact Mackenzie Foley and get an update. That's a hell of an article, huh? Yeah, the delivery system is right there next to Russia. See, your delivery system, see, they don't worry about it spreading over to under normal atmospheric uh, conditions because the sun's ultraviolet rays would just render the, the, the virus ineffective. It would kill it. Yeah. But right there next to Russia, right there next to Russia, the potential of doing great more harm is uh, high. Well, see, Russia doesn't have a COVID problem as far as I know. They probably all took hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. What do you bet? I don't think Ukraine has a COVID problem. Do they? I don't think so. I think we do uh, because of the binary bioweapon of of the the non-vaccine and then the COVID virus. Well, I'm going to run this by Judy Mikovits and John Cullen. I'm going to send this to a few other people and see what they think. Um, but it's just fascinating. This article came out in 2013. It's basically a, bru- a blueprint for a binary bioweapon of the COVID virus synthesized through gain of function and an artificially created computerized um, messenger RNA vaccine to create spike proteins along with the virus to kill people. And they made people take it. They made people take the... the, the uh, the binary weapon, they, they released the half so that we were exposed to, and then they made people take the other half of the binary weapon in the form of a vaccine. And we're talking about the worst of the worst people on Earth. You know, the, you well, know, yeah, the, they are. There's always some deviant minds. You can't get no worse than that. You know, another yeah. good topic, too, is black holes. What if a black hole starts sucking off the sun, destroying it? What are we going to do with all the electrical vehicles then? <laughs> I think if, if a black hole takes away the sun, we're going to have bigger problems than electric vehicles. But on that cheery note, <laughs> we're going to go for this week. So next week, uh, Monday, probably the uh, the censorship 
uh, industrial complex. That's a new term I learned this week. I'm going to do some more research. I've got the hearings post on my pages, special investigation, uh, the action radio group, my own page. I do have, actually, I did post this article. I remember now it's on Facebook already. Um, if you remember the action radio vaccine project, you can find it. Uh, it's at the special investigations page. It's purple. It's got all these purple things that look like virus, purple things. So that's where you'll find it. Zari post it might be on the, on the action radio group too, but you can find it. Uh, it's there, and I'll, just, I'll make sure it's on other places, too, so people can find this article. Uh, I always try and post the articles before I talk about them, but not always. So it's been a great week. Censorship Industrial Complex, Monday. I have a ton of research. I'll see you later. Tomorrow. Thanks, Bianchi. Thanks for your help. We'll talk to you next week. It's going to be fun. That's what we do. The website you're listening to right now, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E, writeyourlaws.com. Uh, my Substack, where I've got a bunch of articles uh, and more of another one today, uh, is gregpanglis.substack.com. And our, our contribution site is givesendgo.com slash actionradio. Been an incredible week. Uh, it's going to be an incredible week next week. And uh, we'll just keep forging ahead. Looking for that Trump endorsement and join the Trump 2024 campaign and uh, just get worldwide known very quickly. Working on it. Talk to you next week. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.